Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Anna Musings. Our 360-degree theater is here, so you can take a look at our newest film, The Wonders of China. <laughs> now please note there are bars in front of you you can hang on to in case the film gets disorienting in any way. Don't worry, the theater is not moving, it is just an optical illusion brought on by the intense oral experience you're about to get, well, that is, the Anna Musings podcast. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Boom, baby. Oh my god. That used to have that in uh, at Disneyland in California at Circle Vision. I remember that. But now I think it's only in uh, in the China Pavilion at uh, Walt Disney World, I think. Or at Epcot. I, you I don't know, even know if it's the same film. I never went to the one in Epcot, if it does exist in China, at the China Pavilion, but... I mean, if we, I know there's a point we'll go back to Walt Disney World at some point. We can see if it's there. Someday. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to Animusings. Hello. Uh, we are your host. I am Kayla King, and I'm joined by my husband, David King. Hi, everyone. And we have another guest. <laughs> we always have a guest. If we don't have a guest, it's, it's rare we don't have a guest these days. Yeah, if, there, if we don't have a guest... Assume it, something is wrong. Assume something's wrong. Or it's probably a movie nobody cares about. <laughs> I saw well, nothing wrong, and we got a good movie this time, because uh, I'm here. Yay! yay. Hi. Uh, this is Jennifer Kelsey, everyone. Woo! Excellent. Yay. Thank you for joining us, uh, Jenny. <laughs> it's no problem. I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Now, I usually I ask the guests about their qualifications, but the only qualifications on this podcast is do you like this movie and do you want to talk about it? <laughs> or yeah. do you not like this movie and do you still want to talk about it? I usually go for the former. Sometimes the latter is okay. I think usually it's, hey, you're a friend of ours. You want to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically my qualifications is I know these two. Um, other than that, I've, I've been on Raw Dog Readings a couple times, the ripoff podcast, <laughs> uh, Undercooked Analysis, uh, as well as I've written into a couple of the Undercooked Analysis uh, pasta contests. Mm-hmm. So the only one I did of note is <laughs> a troll slash meme pasta I did for the uh, Ritual Pasta one. <laughs> the yes. <laughs> long walk till it's just us. Uh, <laughs> that, that was very good. That it was very funny. <laughs> I, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> you should be proud of that one too. So I'm glad to hear that. Um, actually, uh, there's, I mean, there's another reason for Mulan as well. But uh, yes, by the way, we are discussing 1998's Mulan. <laughs> Mulan. Yes. If you say it like Mulan's dad every time, it's even better. Mulan. <laughs> Mulan. 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 <laughs> 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 My God, I I cannot go that deep. Um, uh, so I'll I'll give the history of this. Um, uh, which is actually, I, I find the history of all these movies fascinating. I keep saying this over and over. It's fascinating. This is a this is about the history of the studio and the history of the production of each film. So it makes sense, honestly. Mm-hmm. Look at how far mm-hmm. we've come. It's uh, 1998. This is what the 37th, 36th. I should probably look. I should know this. How many movies? Honestly, how many movies have been done since? Uh, I could easily look at the file. It's the thirty-six. I aha. See, I knew I was I was close because I was the one who put the last episode up, and I remember being like thirty-five. <laughs> so um, we're actually not starting in nineteen eighty-eight. We're actually going a decade, uh, starting a decade back in nineteen eighty-nine. Walt Disney Feature Animation Florida opened. 
Um, and they started by just creating like animated shorts and featurettes. Um, and then eventually they assisted with films like Aladdin and Lion King. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this eventually got them to consider what if we did a full length animated feature? Uh, in 1990, they began working on a short feature called, this is going to sound bad, China Doll, which was about a uh, woman, uh, a wayfish Chinese girl, as it was described, who um, struggles against oppression, but is saved by a British soldier. Mm-hmm. And this was actually supposed to go to VHS, straight to VHS. Um. Maybe not the best idea. (laughs) Hey, the kids will like the imperialism messages, won't they? So, uh, but then Beauty and the Beast came out and they realized, uh, no, we need more hits. Give us better stories. Give us good stuff. So, um, they tried to rework it and it just wasn't, like, the character herself wasn't working and they weren't sure how to make it into a full-length film. Uh, that's when children's book author Robert Sansusi, who is a frequent Disney consultant, suggested the Chinese poem, The Song of uh, Fa Mulan, might make a good movie. And they liked that. They actually enjoyed this story and thought, let's go in that direction. And just letting you know, most of the animation for Mulan was done by Florida Studios. This is the Walt Disney's Florida Studios, first full-length animated feature. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the interesting part about this is all of these people were on the lower ranks. Like, they were just the regular people. It's like, oh, you just did shorts and stuff like that. And they were all kind of getting their footing. Um, the two directors, Barry Cook and Tony Bancraft, didn't really do much. Barry... Uh, Cook only directed, like, two animated shorts, and Tony Bancraft uh, was a supervising animator for Pumbaa and Lion King, and then also an animator for the Gargoyles in Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. That's one hit, one strike, in my opinion, but, you know, <laughs> it's not their not their fault that the Gargoyles were terrible. Uh, but well, they were just an animator, so it's not their fault. <laughs> exactly. They just made it look pretty. They sure exactly. did. So... Because they were, uh, Walt Disney Studios was more focused on Hercules and Hunchback, they didn't really care about them. So this is a quote by Bancroft. They didn't pay much attention to us because Hercules was going to be the blockbuster, so we did whatever we wanted. <laughs> um, it eventually was supposed to start off as a comedy where Mulan was this tomboy and she was supposed to be a betrothed to Shang, like Shang was supposed to be her husband that she's, or, soon-to-be husband that she's never met and was unhappy and then runs away. And then I realized why some of this movie is really good. Because there are I, there are two people who served as head of story, and I realized, oh, these are good people. So Chris Sanders just finished storyboarding Lion King and then came in as head of story, and he said, this is dumb you need to be more faithful to the original legend and have Mulan leave home because she loves her father, not because of some guy. Yep. And I had to look up who Chris Sanders was. Chris Sanders is 
co-director of Lilo and Stitch, also the voice of Stitch. Oh. oh. Yeah. I That's what he goes on later to do. I'm like, oh, okay, so he knows what he's talking about. And here's another interesting part. Um, Another co-director of Lilo and Stitch, uh, his name is... Let me okay, scroll down, and you probably should cut out the part where I'm scrolling down. I can do that. Uh, is uh, Dean DeBlois, and he was co-head of story. And he was the one who actually suggested, why don't we go with minimal dialogue in certain parts? And this actually led to the whole silent approach. Nice. Yeah. Yep. Like, these two guys who made a Lilo and Stitch, which is an amazing movie, I can't wait to watch and review it, uh, already showed their prowess in this film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, This is kind of where they cut their teeth on the thing, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, the animators took a lot of inspiration from Chinese art from the Ming and Qing dynasty, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Um, that's readily apparent. I could see it in a lot of places. Well, that's when. Oh yeah. That's where Fa Mulan, uh, or Hua Mulan. That's actually the correct pronounce pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the the original legend came from. Uh, funny thing about that is, I, I, this perplexed me for a little bit as I was like looking it up. I was wondering why they changed it to Fa Mulan instead of Hua Mulan. And it was a little difficult to find, but apparently Hua Mulan is the, uh, Mandarin version of that character and Fa Mulan is the Cantonese version of that character. Uh, you know, the, mm-hmm. how you say that. <laughs> oh. So. And that, I mean, wouldn't they most likely speak Cantonese during the Ming Dynasty, if I recall? Maybe I'm wrong, but... I, I don't know much about the Chinese history, so... But that's the only reason I could find why they chi- changed the name to Fa instead of Hua. I used to study um, Chinese history when I was in college. I actually took a art history course on uh, uh, on Chinese art and as well did a Hong Kong literature or not literature, a Hong Kong action film course as well. So there's a couple of things I I know in the back of my brain, but it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a decade since I took those courses. So yeah. Now, um, another cool thing I discovered is that um, the supervisor for uh, the character designs is Chen Yi Cheng, who was known for his work on the Batman cartoon series. Oh. Yeah. Um, he, uh, actually went above and beyond for that. Like he did the researching on like the period, like time period costuming and looked up how, um, how they would have like, uh, dressed or based on like their ranks or in the military, etc. So mm-hmm. he tried as best as he could to be true to that time period. He was true to their heart. Gotta <laughs> be true. Speaking of music. <laughs> So, uh, Steven Schwartz was originally hired to write the song and lyrics. Um, then, your, your favorite person, David. I, I thought we were done with him. I thought we were done with him. So, he's gone. He's working and starting DreamWorks. He contacts Steven Schwartz. He's like, hey, we're working on a movie called Prince of Egypt. Would you rather write the music and lyrics for that one? He's like, yeah, I would. And Disney's like, please don't. And actually, this is kind of bad. Apparently, um, the head of Disney 
threatened him. He's like, if you don't do this, we will remove your name from everything. And he's like, yeah, no, um, I'm gone now. Bye. Yeah, that's that's garbage. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's still Jeffrey Katzenberg like, hey. The pettiness will never end. <laughs> the, Jeffrey's pettiness will never end. Uh, Prince of Egypt is a really good movie, but that's besides the point. Um, yeah, this this is true. So they brought in Matthew Wilder uh, to do the music um, and David Zippel for the lyrics. Now, David Zippel, we know because he wrote the lyrics for Hercules. Mm-hmm. I had to look up Matthew Wilder, and this is so funny to me. Um, <laughs> he's a, He was originally a singer, mm-hmm. and he a bit of a one-hit wonder, and... Oh, wait. Yes. He sang Break My Stride. Oh. Yeah, he... Oh. Yeah, Ain't nothing gonna, gonna break, break my stride. stride. Nobody's, Nobody's gonna, gonna slow me down. down. Oh, no. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Got to keep on moving. There we go. Yep. Weirdly enough, that's him. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, that song is incredible. Yeah. And then... um. His singing career didn't do as well, so he went on to become a music producer, and um, actually one of his first uh, music uh, things that he produced was No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom. Oh! Yeah. He's produced a bunch of other people, too. I mean, he ended up producing Christina Aguilera, but Christina Aguilera actually got her fame because of this, because she sang the song Reflection, so... Oh, wow, nice. Mm-hmm. And, uh... The composer for this is Jerry Goldsmith. I had... Okay. Jerry Goldsmith is one of those, like, oh my goodness, this is one heck of a composer. And I'm going to have to list... He has a huge credits list. Um, I'm just going to list some of my favorites. Okay. Uh, he started by doing music for the TV show The Twilight Zone. Ooh. He did the music for Planet of the Eights. Mm-hmm. Patton. Oh. Chinatown. Oh. The Omen. Ooh. Alien. Ah. Star Trek The Motion Picture. Ah. Poltergeist. Mm. Secret oh. of Nymph. Uh. Gremlins. Yeah. He, <laughs> he wrote the theme for Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> and, Whoa. Uh, and LA Confidential. Yeah. This, yeah. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith. And, yeah, and it's bigger than that. I'm just naming. Oh, I know. I know. It's, I'm just naming some of my favorites, but it's like, oh my goodness. And, um, I mean, we'll delve into it later, but I must say, the com- uh, the music, the background music for this is one of my favorites for Disney, if not my favorite. It's so amazingly done and fits the whole, like, uh, feel of the movie perfectly, so. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so we've got quite the, uh, we got quite the, uh, like, you know, production team behind this again you know music animators it's it's really impressive honestly and then again this is just the florida studio finally getting to stretch its legs and do something so the film was released june 19th 1998 and their budget was 90 million uh they grossed 120 million domestically and 304 million worldwide Mm. now they did hire domestically than its previous films, like Hunchback and Hercules, but it never matched the success of Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. Um, for the in terms of uh, reception, this is where I wanted to what I wanted to get into because it's not just the reviewers I uh, that 
put their input, it's a lot of different people. Um, the reviewers, for the most part, actually praised this movie. It was mostly positive reviews, and they especially loved the whole story part of it. Um, as well, Goldsmith was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Music Score, which doesn't surprise me. But he lost to Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> Whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, but then here's here's some weird perceptions. So one of the things Disney wanted to do was really promote China, uh, promote Milan in China, since China was one of their biggest potential markets. It only made thirty thousand in the Huan province. Whoa! That's it. Um, and the reason why is the film came out just after children were going back to school. And not only that, um, China has, um, lax enforcement of intellectual property. That's so, very true. Yeah. So a lot of kids and, uh, and adults would just pirate the film. Mm. It, like there is no, they were, they had no reason to go see in the theater. They could just easily pirate it. And, also, a lot of Chinese viewers said they didn't like the film because it was too foreign looking. Um, they said, and this is one of the many, I guess, complaints or criticisms. Criticisms. It's a criticism, but it's an interesting uh, outlook. So. Um, the Chinese said that this doesn't feel like a movie for us. This feels like a movie for Americans. The way that Mulan acts is not like a Chinese girl. She's too individualistic. That's not how Chinese culture is. Plus, um, our Mulan, the Mulan we grow up with, the reason she did go to war was not because, uh, of, um, because she didn't fit in or is trying to figure her own identity. She did it only for the love of her father. Uh-huh. That was her main goal. Her father was too sick, and she was doing it for honor. Like, this is... This was more important. Um, and that was another thing in terms of uh, Asian Americans as well. Oh, okay, so it's mixed. When it comes to Asian Americans, it's a very mixed bag. And the, here's one of the reasons I say this, because, okay, here's a quote from producer Pam Quotes, or Coates, sorry. The studio was looking to do something radically different. An idea of making this legend into a movie came up. However, the story it's based on is revered in the Asian community, so there's a real need to be as true to the source as possible. The problem here, I think, is the fact that she says it's revered in the Asian community. Not... Not... It's not Chinese. Right. So... There... I think... Disney, for the most part, with this film, uh, was thinking, oh no, it's an Asian film, when it's supposed (laughs) to be a Chinese film. Yes. And Mm -hmm. that's why they said, oh, we really wanted to make sure all of the cast is Asian American, which is... It's true. Most of the cast is Asian American. However... I went through it. Only two of the actors are Chinese American. Oh. Yeah, most of them are um, Japanese American. Or uh, uh, there's a I, her Mulan's father is played by a Korean American, and 
I feel like they're like, oh, you're Asian? Yeah, you should be in this. <laughs> yeah. In, but It's complicated. It is like, complicated. Here's another complicated thing, too, because I actually read a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of different opinions from Asian Americans who grew up with this film or watched it and then reflect on it years later. And one of the things he said is it meant something to me because I was seeing myself on the screen that popped up quite a bit. Like for the first time I was seeing myself up on the screen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's true at that time, the film was one of the first Films in children, in like, in the children's market. Like an animated feature film. That actually had Asian Americans as the heroes. Hmm. Um, Ying Yang, uh, who is the executive director of the New York Chinese Cultural Center, uh, had this to say. I think it's easy to criticize a movie in hindsight after so many years. The movie is not perfect, but at the time, it was pioneering for Disney to release a movie with an Asian heroine. It was a good start towards incorporating greater cultural diversity in movies, and I applaud Disney for doing it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but then... It's a step, just a weird step. And mm-hmm. again, if you look at, you look back on it now and you're like, oh, come on, you could have, you could have done, you could have done, done more, more, you could have done more with it. But, you know, again, 1998? Yeah, at that time... I don't know, pre-1998, considering how long it would take to produce... The movie. It, it's so. one of the ways it kind of, I, I was able to kind of compare it to is kind of like um, Will and Grace. Will and Grace was one of those first few, like one of the first few um, shows that like featured the queer community, but they use a lot of stereotypes, mm-hmm. but it is, mm-hmm. it did make people more comfortable with it. And it's like, I appreciate it for that, but at the same time. Still reinforces stereotypes. Yeah. But um, another thing Mulan did, uh, and I, I'm glad Jenny is here for this, because here's another thing that kept popping up in my research, is um, apparently Mulan meant a lot to the uh, trans community. Like, a lot, a lot of trans writers um, uh, said she meant a lot to them. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like... Thinking back on it, it's part of definitely part of why um, I related to the movie so much. And I think like the My Reflection song, uh, we'll, we'll get to that later. But <laughs> like, I think that probably struck a chord in so many young trans people. It is just ridiculous just how on point that line of when will my reflection show who I am inside? Mm-hmm. It's a very common like recurring thought or you know uh thing with the trans community <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and uh you know uh, you mentioned when we were talking about this that it was also uh non-binary yeah there were there uh it, not wow. just trans but also i saw some non-binary writers say she meant something to me as well because this was the first person who um like didn't really choose a gender she just she just was herself yeah and yep. that meant a lot to them as well Right. And I, I do want to touch on that because, um, like watching the movie, like I came, I came to some realizations about, you know, ha- you know, looking at it, looking at it as an adult is very different than watching it as a kid and just going, yeah, here's a, a, here's a girl who's a, who's a hero in this story. And it's like, well, there's more to it than that, you know? So like, 
I, oh, yeah. I think this is a point probably we should get into our own personal histories then. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, uh, we, uh, yeah. Do you want to? Do I you, did want to say one thing first. Um, the, I have a quote here from uh, the co-director, Tony Bancroft. He was summarizing Mulan in the film of saying, this is the story of a girl who can't help who she is, but she exists in a different society that tell her, tells her who she is supposed to be. Mm. Which, you, you know, it's, it's very relevant to trans people, even, especially these days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. Actually, why don't you start, Jenny? What's your, explain your personal history with the film. Um, so, Mulan, I don't remember when I first saw it. I would have been like three years old when it came out in theaters. Um, but I know I have seen it many times. Me and my family, we all used to own like all of the Disney classics on VHS and we've watched them many a times. So I've seen Mulan probably more times than I can count. And each time it's great. I absolutely love the movie. It's uh, it's pretty good. I, I don't think I saw it. I watched it nearly that much. Um, I didn't own this one. I think I've, I can count on one hand the number of times I've seen it. And that's maybe like three, I want to say. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it stuck with me for sure. But I remember seeing it when it came out. I must have watched it a couple of times on VHS or something. And then I haven't watched it in years up until this moment. So, um, yeah, it was interesting revisiting it. But, but I mean, again, it says a lot for the movie when a lot of parts of it stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, watching it now, um, well, I definitely, I definitely have different feelings toward the movie. Maybe I'm a little more, I might be a little more critical of some parts of it, but I really, much like Hercules, much like Hunchback, much like, you know, everything that's kind of happened recently, there's parts I really, really like, and there's parts where I kind of go, uh, you know, this could have maybe been, I don't know. It's that whole, it's that whole uh, wishy-washy thing. But I, I still really enjoyed, um, still really enjoy this one. And, uh, my personal history is not really that deep with this one, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, my history with this is actually, uh, so I remember a lot of like my, uh, reactions to Hercules and all that. But with Mulan, I can genuinely remember myself going into the theater, sitting down and watching it. Like I, I can physically remember it. That's probably, this is probably my most vivid theater memory for a Disney film mm-hmm. because I was eight at the time. Um, I also remember being extremely excited for this film, like as a kid, like I thought it was so cool. And I, I remember uh, actually before the film came out, they did an interview with Donny Osmond and uh, that's when I actually knew Donny Osmond saying the let's get down to business before the movie even came out. <laughs> um, it, was on a, it was on a talk show or something. And uh, he mentioned, uh, I, I was like, oh, is the movie coming out? Are we watching it right now? Like, because stupid kid brain. And they're like, the movie's not out yet, but it'll be out this time. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to wait. <laughs> um, I own the movie. I as I grew up, I genuinely loved the movie, but I feel like um, the songs popped up more for me as, throughout my life than the move, actual movie did. Uh, like the num- I think the n- number of times "Let's Get Down to Business" has played is more than the number of times that um, I've seen the film itself. Yeah, <sighs> that's I think the main reason I remember it, and I think that's you know the thing is 
we'll, we'll get we'll into get to that. We'll get to that. Um, yep. But I, yeah, I I just remember really liking this film. Um, I really enjoyed the music, and um, it was one of those films I would actually re rewatch um, even into adulthood. But I think the last time I probably watched it was in college. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been, again, it's been a decade, <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, I still, like, watching it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I vividly remember this. I remember a lot of it, so. All right. Uh, I guess we can jump into the film. <laughs> let's do this. Let's jump. Yeah. Let's, let's throw our grappling hooks and get over the Great Wall, because that's, like, the first <laughs> thing that happens. No, the first thing that happens is there's a whole intro with the, uh, using, uh, ink pen that paints the... Oh, yeah, that part's beautiful. That is a very beautiful intro. Oh, yeah, it is super great. It- I just love the look of all the uh, like ink pen art that happens throughout this movie. Yeah, it doesn't. It, you know, it's interesting that it happens only a couple times, but when it does, you you notice. Well, there's there's moments like if you look at the smoke and the way that the um, how it moves and oh, such, the smoke is amazing. It, smoke in the mist. Oh yeah, it looks like something out of a Chinese painting, which is I, I, I like. That's a good touch. Yeah. Yeah. I do also, as as usual, enjoy the requisite multi-pane camera shot. Maybe at this point they could be using computers. Uh, that of the Great Wall. If we zoom away from it, and we get the one lone sentry who sees a grappling hook come up and land over the wall. And the first thing isn't just to yell. He just goes. He more or less and goes like, "The heck!" And he just like walks <laughs> over, looks over the edge, and that's when all the the, the Huns start climbing over the wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So much for the Great Wall, huh? I, I get it. What is this grappling hook looking thing? <laughs> I've never I, seen a grappling hook before. I thought grappling hooks were just a myth. <laughs> <laughs> what siege technology? Um. Yes, the Huns have attacked. Oh, I probably should say this. Oh, he too. gets hit by he gets uh he gets attacked by the hawk first. The hawk is yeah. the first like oh that's can't right. we see. Because mm-hmm. the hawk, I really like the shot where it perches on the wall, like parapet, like uh, the rampart, like against the moon. Mm-hmm. It's a good shot. I forgot to mention this. So um, the Turkish nationals, nationalists also protested Mulan because they didn't like the negative portrayal of the Huns, which are the historical ancestors of the Turks. So. Yep. That, uh, reading up on that, it's a very interesting and weird combination going on with how with the Huns, because, um, you know, it is the Hun implication is that they're Mongolian, like, and whatnot. But I hear that they're a little more based off of, uh, including, we'll find out the name of the leader, Sean Yu, uh, are based off of the Sh- um, Xiongnu people from uh, China. And in China, they're called the Xiongnu army instead of the Huns. Mm. So they kind of messed up on the history there, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, I, I think they did it mostly because the Huns are more recognizable to America rather than the, you know, Xiongnu, which is nothing I'd even heard of until now. <laughs> well, yeah, most most people think when they think Huns, they automatically add Attila the to it. Yeah. You know? I, so. th- I think also another thing is Hun is easier to say than Xiongnu. Yeah. Is that how it's pronounced? Xiongnu? Uh, from, is like, yeah, Xiongnu, if Xiong, I remember mine. Yeah, let's see, we're having... Let's get down to business to defeat the Xiongnu. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't quite roll off the tongue as well. Yeah. So, 
you know, yeah. maybe that, that could be the only reason. They get to that, that part, and they're like, no, 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 David, I'm sorry, we're gonna have to change this. It just doesn't sound as good. Uh. So, uh, yeah, they, the, the Huns climb the walls, and, uh, we meet, we meet Sean, uh, Sean Yu. Who is, uh, voiced by Miguel Ferrer, uh, who, I, I, David's like, who's that? And I'm like... No, 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 no. I, I mean, I knew who it was. You said Miguel Ferrer. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And I'm just like going, yeah, yeah, I know who that is. But for some reason, it wasn't clicking to me. And it wasn't until today before we were about to record. I'm like, wait, Albert Rosenfeld. I'm like, yes, Dave. Ah, uh, <laughs> rest in peace. Yeah. Rest in peace. Uh, I hope Ferrer. you're, uh, you know... Anyway. Yeah, he... I like Twin Peaks, Yeah, so. <laughs> he, was in, he was in the Twin Peaks Return. He's also done a bunch of other stuff, and also is the cousin of George Clooney, weirdly enough. Um, I forgot about that part. Yeah, and his mother was also a famous singer as well. Like, they have... He has an interesting, like, Hollywood background, so... Yeah. Do we want to talk about... I mean, I know this is only his first appearance, but do we want to talk about Sean Yu as a villain? Yes, want I want to. Well... I mean, we can wait, but let's, I don't know. Let's do it. I don't mind. It's... Okay, because it's our first time we see him, and he's all spooky looking, and he's got the hood, he's got the jaundice eyes, and the... yeah, he is an intimidating villain. I the the design is a little weird. I I'm not quite sure why they went with the like gray model skin and such, but each of the Huns looks super good in my opinion i love their designs i like the archer hun he's probably my favorite <laughs> i think the only issue is for the most part sean Yu is just only meant to be intimidating like there's not much personality to him other than i'm scary and uh i just i want to conquer stuff exactly yeah uh i feel like um with his with his character design along with the huns they're I feel like it's like the effect of um, the it's the monstrous effect, which is the idea that if you create a character that doesn't seem human, they are more scarier. Uh, mm. One example is um, uh, Mike Myers in Halloween, despite the fact he's wearing technically a humanoid mask and a William Shatner mask. And yeah, all William that. Shatner mask, and he's human. He's they take his humanity away by calling him the shape. And not really giving him much of a personality other than just pure evil. And I feel like this is kind of the same case with Sean Yu. Yeah. And he was kind of, I, I had read that there, um, that he was supposed to be maybe a little more inhuman. Like the reason his eyes were black was at some point he, in development or something, he used to have the ability to see through the eyes of his Falcon Hayabusa. But. Ooh. They cut that out, it seems. I actually didn't know the Falcon was named Hayabusa. Yeah, I just pulled it up because I forgot for a second. But yeah, it, the Falcon's name is Hayabusa. That's actually kind of cool. <laughs> they never say the Falcon's name, but that is actually really cool. Well, they never say that, like, you know, Maleficent had Diablo. That's right. And the she, Raven, she but never said she never calls him by name. Mm-mm. And we'll find out throughout the movie that Hayabusa is the best soldier in the Hun army. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you kidding? Oh, we'll, we'll talk about Yeah, I'm with you. We'll, we'll be on Hayabusa Watch. There's a new feature on anime scenes called Hanabu- ha- Hayabusa Watch. Hanabusa. 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 Hayabusa Watch. Oh, goodness. Um, um, so, 
There's not, I, I, I agree though. There's not a lot to say about him. He's just kind of a force of, he's like a force of antagonism. He doesn't really have mm-hmm. a compelling story or a lot of personality traits. He's just, I'm scary and I want to conquer stuff. And he's got, you're right about the, he's got like almost a, he's got almost like an ape-like, um, like the way he moves is almost like there's like a gorilla or a orangutan quality to the way he moves. Mm. And like, yeah. he's got those nails, like his nails are almost claw-like on his hands when you see them up close. Like, yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, he's fine, but there's not much to write home about. He's, I don't think, I, I, I challenge anyone to say Sean Yu is their favorite villain. And if they do, why? And you know, you're entitled to whoever your favorite Disney villain is. If it's Sean Yu, cool, more power to you. But why? I, I don't know if many people are going to say Sean Yu is their favorite Disney villain. Yeah. I agree. So, so Sean Yu shows up. I love the bit. I don't know. Maybe because I've seen this meme in the past where <laughs> the guy lights the torch and says, now all of China knows you're here. There's that thing where. <laughs> When you look now, at, when you accidentally like an of, ancient post from your ex, now all of China <laughs> knows you're here. Yep. Or just like liking a horny post and it's like, now all of Twitter knows you're horny. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm not sure what happened to everybody on the wall. I'm going to presume they die because that's just what the Huns do in this movie. They leave no survivors. Yeah. Oh, well, there's some dark... Oh, no, there is. They do leave one. I do no, appreciate the dark element. There's a, there's a dark moment that comes later. Okay. I do, I do want to discuss that because I did not realize it when I was a kid or even as a college oh, yeah. student. And I just realized it now. And I can't believe I was that stupid. Oh, yeah. Smash mm-hmm. cut, by the way, to uh, the general coming to see the emperor. And the emperor is voiced by Pat Morita. As in... Uh, Mr. Miyagi? Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid. Uh, may he rest in peace uh, yeah <laughs> and what was what was the name of his um his like uh scribe oh what was that uh, chifu chifu uh now the cool thing about chifu is in the uh, chinese version uh jackie chan voices him oh yeah uh he I mean, he's speaking uh, uh mandarin but yeah he voices uh chifu that's Hmm. That's cool. Not in this one. I don't. I no, no, no. I know it's not Jackie Chan in this one. I don't know who. I actually don't know who's voice. Is. I. Mm, I forgot. I. It was someone I didn't recognize. It's me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at us, great podcasters. Yeah. Someone. <laughs> yeah, but they they get we get the idea that like oh here the Huns are here. Uh, they've crossed the wall. They're going to be making their way here, and he's and the Emperor's like. And, and the general's like, we should go take them, you know, face them. And the emperor's like, no, we need to just start recruiting people. We need to do as much as we can to tip this in our direction. It makes a, the emperor is fond of making these, like, you know, analogies. You know, a single grain of rice can tip the balance, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Which is where we get the symbolic cut to. I feel like that's why they hired Pat Morita, was for this sort of thing. <laughs> the idioms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that's when we, Smash cut to Milan cheating on a test. <laughs> <laughs> Eating rice, cheating on a test. I love the... Okay, uh, I, I'll get into the voice actress in a little bit, but I, I do love the fact that she is basically writing down what she's supposed to say for this... For basically a test, and she's cheating. Like, <laughs> this is our heroine, everyone. Which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the voice actress is um, Ming-Na Wen. Uh, who is a badass, um, and I say this because 
she's been in um a couple of cool stuff. Uh, she's be- recently been in um The Mandalorian as a oh. bounty hunter. Yeah. That's Ming Na Wen. That's Ming Na Wen. No, she, she and she's like in her late fifties, and she looks amazing. I, uh, she's also in was in the uh, TV show. Um, my gosh, what's that? Josh Sweden uh, Avengers TV show. Agents of Shield. That's it. Uh, she's in Agents of Shield as well, and Ooh. she's also a badass in that one too. <laughs> Me know one is awesome. Oh yeah, I love her. Um. Originally, actually, they were, they had hired Leia Solanja, who is her, is Mulan's singing voice, uh, to do both the singing and, uh, voice acting. Uh huh. But if you've heard Leia Solanja talk, she can't do deep voice. Her voice is naturally very soft and higher up and. It's gonna be harder for her to do the voice of Ping oh, when absolutely. that happens then. Um, weirdly enough, um, the reason why Ming-Na Wen was um, considered is they watched the Joy Luck Club and she provides the narration for that movie. Oh. Or the beginning narration. And they're like, that's who we want. That's the type of voice we want for this character. (laughs) And that's why they hired her. Never seen the Joy Luck Club, but I did read it in college. I've seen it and I've read Read, it. Read short stories by Amy Tan, I should say. I've seen and read it too. They're both very good. Very, uh, they're fairly close together. Mm, okay. In, like, in terms of basing off each other, so. Right. Um, another fun fact. Um, so you'll notice that Mulan keeps touching her hair. Like, that is a quirk she does. Yeah. Ming-Na Wen would do the same thing. Ah, uh, yes. Acting. I love that detail whenever the animators do that and they just take a tick for they like from some, some one of their, you know, their model, their voice actor and yeah. they just incorporate it. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so our our protagonist, ladies and gentlemen, it is it is Mulan, and she's already cheating on a test because she has to go see the matchmaker because tradition, 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 uh, tradition. <laughs> uh, but and honor, honor, very let's, important. Let's not forget she also cheats on her chores by getting the dog too. So the dog's name is Little Brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All I could think of was the the one legged dog from Homestar Runner. <laughs> oh, little <laughs> yep, and little brother uh, is apparently a reference to how in some versions of the Hwabulan tale, she has a little brother who's also not ready to go to war. <laughs> oh. Um, yep. Uh, and it's also the first of four animal sidekicks we'll see in the movie. <laughs> Luckily, luckily for us, Little Brother's not in much of the movie, and I think that's fair because I want to. I forgot. I had completely forgotten this character. That's how memorable it is in terms of. It's Me just a dumb too. dog. Little Little Brother's just a stupid dog. I think the he, re- he stands out so much. It's like what? <laughs> yeah. I think. And yet, I think the reason they did this was to show, and this is a common quirk of hers. She thinks outside the box. So, like, even when she's doing her chores, she instead of like. Feeding the chickens by how you normally feed chickens. She ties a bone on a stick to him so he can chase after it while while holding the uh, chicken feed with a hole in it. So that way he can feed the chickens. I I do like how the chickens end up chasing little brother around and they end up storming. The chickens end up running into the shrine where um, uh, 
Pazu is praying. Because mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. he's praying that um, she'll be able to be matched to a husband. <laughs> he's like, please give us good luck. Basically, chaos happens. Please. 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 Um, I, I, this is the first of one thing of many uh, stock sound effects I've noticed. This is where I'm oh. going to shine in this one because, my goodness, this was distracting. There was so... <laughs> Many generic stock sound effects from like the ge- general sound library used in this movie, more so than any other Disney movie I can think of off the top of my head. I I don't know if it, if either of you two picked up on this, but I could hear the the I could hear the stock sounds. I could hear like the you know the like that particular chicken cluck is like that startled cluck is used multiple times through this movie, and I've heard it many many times in other sources too. Um, various pottery and things breaking is that classic just like clay pot breaking sound uh or breaking oh, noise yeah it's the red letter medium <laughs> it's the red letter oh, medium yeah. one you know like there's that one the horse sounds or stock horse sounds like it's really distracting if you're an audio guy so <laughs> yeah now yeah. that you pointed it out i'm hearing it because <laughs> i didn't notice that until you just said it i was like yeah you're right <laughs> you're, you're welcome it, it, i have either made the movie better or i've ruined it if it helps, I didn't notice it in there until he, all of a sudden I was watching this with him, and he's like, God, the stock sound effects are bothering me so much. <laughs> I'm like, what? This is like the fifth or sixth time. Like, um, like I know I'm jumping ahead, but at the end, when they when they fry Hayabusa, they even use the exact same as they used earlier in the movie. I'm surprised we didn't hear a Wilhelm scream at any point. <laughs> well, that's because they avoided trying to kill someone by falling, and we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't actually get a... There's no plummets in this one. No plummet deaths in nope, this one. No plummet Unless counter. you count... Oh, we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, we get we, we do get a kind of... We get a the first song. No, I... I sort of. We kind of ease into it. Well, one of the things... Uh, the good part about this film is they do really good ways of establishing... Uh, like... Certain details. Yeah. Like, you actually see her relationship with her father early on, which is good because this is the reason why she goes to war. Yes. And we see Mm -hmm. that it's not antagonistic. It's actually she cares about her father and there's still a respect between each other. And then, yes, this leads to eventually she goes to the matchmaker, but then we're introduced to... um, I guess it's her mother. I, it, they say it's her mother, but she doesn't really act like a mother. It seems Mulan's closer to her dad. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the mother's not much in the movie. <laughs> she's there to kind of set this up, like Mulan. You have to be ready to go see the matchmaker. And, and then there's Mulan's grandmother, who is voiced by June Foray. Yeah, it's Rocky the Squirrel and Natasha. Oh yeah, that's right. She did. Voice and Magica Dispel. That's right. And, oh my, there's, there, like, this, this woman is a voice acting legend. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace, June Pore. But, I mean, yeah. still, weird, I mean, she does fine in the role, but it's distracting, because I, you could hear June, if you know June Foray, it's like, it's like, you know how it's like Spot the Jim Cummings? Yes. In a movie? This is, like, I can hear June Foray, like, the moment she opened her mouth, like, oh yeah, June Foray. <laughs> um, is this also one of the first movies to have a, like, quirky grandmother? Maybe? Like, I'm trying. I can't think of anything earlier than this. No, uh, I think it might be because we didn't. I can't think of any exemplary quirky grandmas from previous 
Are we are we missing something? No, I, no, I I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I feel like this is the start of the grandma is cooler than everyone else in the family. <laughs> yeah, she. I like that she the first one of the first things she does is we. Oh my gosh, the cricket! She's the one <laughs> who brings the cricket into this. Yep, cricky, cricky. Was this Frank Welker doing the cricket noises? Yes, that's Frank Welker. Um, because so is the horse Con. Mm-hmm. Is also Frank Welker. <laughs> when it's not a stock horse sound, it's Frank Welker. <laughs> and when it's not a stock cricket noise, it's probably Frank Welker. Actually, funny enough, um, a lot of the people, uh, or a lot of the animators didn't want Cricky because they thought he was pointless. And it was mainly the person who designed Cricky as well as Michael Eisner, that wanted to keep Tricky in the film. <laughs> oh, yeah. So there would be during meetings, and they're like, oh, what about the cricket? And they'd be like, to hell with the cricket! And yeah. Does Cricky doesn't do... I mean, they, they were. I think they work Cricky in, okay, but Cricky doesn't do a ton. He does nothing. Even the person who made him and wanted him in the movie says he was unnecessary. <laughs> oh, really? There is one scene where I really like Cricky's inclusion, and I, I think it's a payoff, but we're not there yet. But everything else is just kind of meh. Like, the whole thing about, oh, this is a lucky cricket, and then walks through the, you know, the uh, Mulan's grandmother walks through traffic, and, you know, it's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, test the luck. Um, <laughs> well, n- for her, not for the, like, giant crash she comes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You know, you almost expect Hercules to be knocking over a column in the background, considering what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Mulan shows up late, and that's when we get them pushing her into the the bath, and we get the first song. Yep, and it's a it's a good song. I I, I like it, and it does a really good idea of like setting out kind of like the themes and like ideas or beliefs that go into a lot of the you know, story here. Like, they explicitly say, like, to bring honor to the family, a woman has to go get married and make sons, and sons have to go to war and fight. (laughs) Right. Very clearly defined gender roles. Oh, absolutely. We all must serve our emperor who saves us from the Huns. I remember that line very, very specifically. They're like, wow, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And the woman's goal is to become also in the song a perfect porcelain doll Mm -hmm. yeah or um or in some cases yeah i mean it doesn't matter if you're a wife or as was established at the end of concubine yeah oh boy Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i gotta give props because like uh it was at the time it was considered beautiful for a woman's face to be painted white but the one thing they didn't do... I was, I almost made this but reference. I, I think made, I know what you're going to say. It, it, it makes sense why they wouldn't do this, but uh, another form of beauty at that time was having blackened teeth. Oh, I was thinking of something else. What were you going to say? A foot binding. Oh! Well, that was later on. Was that later? That wasn't... I think it's later on, yeah. Okay. Because uh, this is way earlier. This Ming Dynasty is like Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, like, yeah. That makes, you're like, right, you're right. Like, I was trying like, to remember. Yeah. It, it's, that's, like, between, like, 300s to 600s. Like, mm-hmm. foot binding was 18th century. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Though there are some versions of the Hua Mulan tale that do have the foot bindings as a part of it. Because it's a tale that gets retold time and time again, as yeah, I've read. It's a folk tale or, you know, folk story. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, but yeah, this, this is, this is good. I actually do like how we, we have our two very gender specific songs in here. You've got this one and then later we have be a man. And mm-hmm. so it's like, you know, here you've got these polar opposites, um, you know, to in an extent, but, but, and both of them establish, this is what each group does to be valued. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, so, so. Uh, Mulan meets the matchmaker, and the matchmaker is voiced by uh, Miriam Margoyles, who we had recently seen in uh, James and the Giant Peach as uh, Aunt, Spike, uh, Aunt, Aunt Sponge. Sponge, Aunt Sponge, as well as the Glowworm. I did not. I am so sorry, Miriam Margoyles. You are a goddess. I, I should have. I <laughs> well, like, I mean, she she's amazing in that, and we we talked about some of the other stuff. But did we really talk about no, some of the other stuff? I am so disappointed in myself. I did not realize what a... Shall we give her due diligence now? Absolutely. Okay. So, first of all, um, this is uh, Professor Sprout from Harry Potter series. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, Professor Sprout didn't wow. do that much, but she is good in yeah. the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was also, she, uh, she's done a bunch of other stuff, but she was in the original, uh, no, not the original, in the 1980s Little Shop of Horrors as the dental nurse, which oh. I have to give reference to that because I love that movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's also Grandma Rosie in Balto. <laughs> <laughs> she's been in, uh, Black Adder, uh. She, oh, Black Adder. Yeah, she was actually a Queen Victoria Black Adder's Christmas Carol. Oh my gosh, okay. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Uh, and uh, she's also been in the Life and Death of Peter Sellers as Peg Sellers. Who, <laughs> that's a great movie. I love that movie so much. <laughs> but yeah, she's had quite the career. So so here she is playing a bit part. Yeah, that's important, but still a bit part. Uh, as of uh, the matchmaker, which I mean, this scene is actually pretty. This is slapsticky. It is a slapsticky, yeah. Dude, does the slapstick work? I think so. I th- I found myself laughing, especially since the matchmaker is such a uh, <laughs> uh, not a nice person. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, the, I actually think it's this again. Would if Cricky weren't in the movie, how would this? Because a lot of it is caused by Cricky being just jumping around and getting in. Tea and, yeah, because you know, that's the reason she decides to pull the tea back and cause a mess. How would they have done this without Cricky, do you think? this They, uh, they need the slapstick. Prob- probably would have just been mostly clumsiness, because there is some of that in here, too. <laughs> like when she's fanning the burning cinders on the matchmaker's butt and <laughs> just goes up in flames. <laughs> it's like, uh-oh. That's right. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I think the cricket does add a that whole, like, is it really lucky, etc., etc. But, mm-hmm. y- yeah, I feel like it, this is just added so it gives him purpose. Yeah. Uh, this wasn't the scene, by the way. This wasn't the scene that I really enjoyed Cricky being included. It no, was more it, just like, ah, oh, darn it, this Cricket just ruined everything. But then again, we don't... This We know Mulan doesn't really want to be here. She just wants to... She wants to honor her family. That's why yep. she's here. Oh, yeah. And then, um, of course, because she messed up <laughs> like like really messed up uh i i like the fact that 
like, she, she wa- I think this is funny. She's, like, walking away, and she puts her hand up to her face, like, oh, you don't think people are going to notice at this point? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just going to pretend I don't exist for a second. Yeah. And it's very interesting that the matchmaker is even looking for cheating with that, too. Like, you see her take and examine the fan that Mulan had to make sure she didn't write it on the inside of the fan. (laughs) I do not doubt many women have that she has matchmade have done that. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, uh, she has said, you'll never be a bride. You will never bring honor to your family. Very hard. Harsh words, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, so when she goes home, she gets the she gets her her big song. Yeah, sadly, it doesn't last that long. I remember it being longer. It only lasts like a minute and a half. Which yeah, is even. Yeah, but it's still a very beautiful and powerful song that a lot of people can relate to. Uh, especially there, there's a there there are definitely like it doesn't I don't think it matters who you are you could you could see where this is coming from but the resonance is going to be different that's for sure oh yeah it's like um I I mean visually speaking too there's a lot of great bits in that as well I love the moment where she's you know there in front of the you know at the the family shrine again and she you know she wipes she uses her sleeve to wipe off some of the makeup perfectly by the way she does a really good job just one swipe and it's gone that's Qu- amazing question what's on her sleeve that causes that i would love <laughs> it's silk i don't know right yeah but she's got that perfect almost like two-face um thing where it's the the powdered you know the the dolled up powdered look on one side and just the normal face on the other side and it's there for a second before she brushes the rest of it off but that 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 that's poignant the, sort of these two sides of, of Mulan. I, I think why it also matters too is that she is. This is something um, that happens after she messes up uh, being a woman, or that's expected, being being what's expected, expected of, of a, a woman. woman. So and then sings that. Um, uh, uh, why? When will my reflection show who I am inside? Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah. So good. How could you not? see how like um like young trans babies watch this and be like i understand (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) seriously uh although i do like the fact too like like after this um like she she's sitting underneath a cherry blossom is it cherry no it's a orchid why what are they yeah i think it's an orchid I can't tell the difference. Uh, it, it, orchid looking. Anyway, pink blossoms. And here comes Fazu. He sits down. And, and I like that he's a good dad because he says, oh, look how beautiful the blossoms are. He's like, but wait, that one's late. But I, but when it blooms, it's going to be the most beautiful flower. It's his way of saying, like, it's okay that you're not ready now. I forgive you. You're You're going to be fine. And it's like, that's so sweet of him. Mm-hmm. Like, Ah, uh, well, it, it's good that it establishes that he's a good dad because this is the kind of dad. It should be the kind of dad that Mulan would want to go to war to save. You know, absolutely. Yep. Not just it's not just because of familial duty, but because she actually does have a relationship, a good relationship with her father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if he makes missteps, as we'll see, and maybe he's a little too adherent to traditional things. <laughs> Tradition. Wait, wrong thing again. <laughs> 
speaking of which, timing is terrible because here comes, uh, here comes, uh, the general or? No, it's Shifu. Shifu, yeah, to say, we're bringing in men to fight for us. There has to be. We need one male from every household. And, um, his, uh, Fazu is limping. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'd noticed the limp before at that point, but he's walking without the cane. So. Yeah, because he wants to prove himself and show that he is ready to fight for his country. Because, again, he would do any... It's he's all... already a vet. He's done it before. And I bet that that limp was a war wound. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... And Mulan's like, no, he's already fought. Why should he do it again? And... And they're all like, know your place. Yeah, like, you should teach your daughter not to speak in the presence of a man. What does that mean? <laughs> Wait, don't speak in the presence of a man? What? <laughs> no, yeah. I get it. I get it, I get don't it. Don't speak out of turn. I, I, uh. I get it, it just sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's on the nose. It's very on the nose here. Right. Yeah. But, you know, once this, once this happens, I like that we get to the, we get that one bit where they're having tea and Mulan finally kind of speaks her mind for a bit there. Just for a sec. She's just like, you can't go, you'll die. But in his mind, it's like, it is an honor to die for my country. That, mm-hmm. like, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, um, it doesn't matter what happens to me. It's, this is for the good of my country, so. Uh, and then, Oh my! Well, before that, she saw him like try to take up the, his old armor, look at his old armor, take out his old sword, try to do the techniques with it, and then be like, Ugh, "My yeah. pancreas!" And then, <laughs> my pancreas. He beefs it super hard, super yeah. beefs it, and it goes to show just how unready he is for this, and like how he's if he does go, he will most likely die yeah. very painfully. Let's not forget. Uh, like, could you imagine him? In, like, the being trained. Like, like, let's not forget that we actually do see how Mong Long goes through training and all that. Imagine Fazu during the, all that. He would not survive. Well, do you think oh, he yeah. would have, do you think he would have been, because he had previous experience, would he have gone through the training himself? Or would he have been immediately moved to the front lines? Oh, no, he would have to have gone through the training, because, um... But we don't see anybody else his age yeah. in the training, apart from, um, apart from the general... The general's a little, probably a little younger. I don't know what they would do. Honestly, I, they might move him forward, but it's hard to say. But it's like it's interesting because, like, you you'd wonder if in a, in a in a household where there are no sons, I'm surprised we don't see more men who are um, Fazu's age in the army. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you'd think. Mm. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe they do. I was just thinking about it. It's just something I I, I thought of just now. Can't be the only household where in China where that's the thing. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe they do move um, the veterans to the front lines, or like with mm. the, with the main general because it's like, oh, you've already trained. You get to be with the general, and mm. you don't have to train under uh, yeah on you, which still means he would die because future stuff. Um, yeah. But uh, this leads to a beautiful musical sequence. Um, and actually, I have background on this. 
Um, this is actually a fem- the sequence they call this is sequence six in th- when during animation uh-huh. uh, process, and it originally had a song like Mulan was going to sing and all that, but they dropped it, and it was actually Dean Deploy, like as I mentioned before, he was tasked of revising the scene, and that's when he decided n- no dialogue, just yeah, this is probably one of the mm-hmm. best scenes in the movie. It's very good and very affecting just watching Bulan go through all this, taking the armor, slicing off like the majority of her hair. It's, uh, I love, I love the, uh, the, what was the decision to go to a sudden like synth, synth bit? Cause that's really good. I know. Do, 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 Oh, trust me. I was one of those kids that I'm like, I want to hear that. Why why can't I find this song piece? And it wasn't until later on I'm like, YouTube exists. I can now listen to this whenever I want. <gasps> um, but, uh, no, it's really good. I think it's also incredible that you you can just see her make the decision on her face. Like, you can see it in her face, like, I have to do this. She doesn't even have to say anything. You just watch her do it, and you realize she's made this decision. And it's perfect. You don't need yeah. her trying to figure it out, in, or, or need her trying to talk it out with someone, or try to sing a song about it. This set speaks more volumes than if it was a musical number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think, again, this is the strength of, like, the pits where they ch- choose not to use dialogue. Those do happen, and they're generally the best parts of the movie. This one's, this is really good, and I always remember this scene. I actually really, I, one little detail I really like is that she, while she's doing this, she's doing this in front of all her ancestors, so to speak. Because she lights the incense and puts it in the little, you know, dragon, uh, in, you know, incense yeah, burner. Yeah, she, she does a prayer first. She does a prayer, and then she does, then she does the rest of it. She gets con and she takes the conscription notice and she rides off into the, into the stormy night. And then I like how it, the first person to realize she's gone is grandma. Yep. I, I like the fact it's like, did she, did they figure out what she's going to do? I'm like, how could you not have like, well, all the context clues are there, but I like how they immediately realize what she's doing. And like, we, we, she'll be killed if we don't stop her. And then they're like, she'll be killed. if She's found out. Yeah, so it's better if they don't do anything. And just that that's that's a better hope than it is to actually go and try. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that part though. Mm-hmm. When they say that. So that's why I was like, Um Again, the minimal dialogue is so brilliantly done here. Ah. Um and then this leads to the ancestors humorous part. Can I just say real quick how much I love the rain and the lightning in that last scene, especially when she's curled up yes. in the paws of the stone dragon before yes. she makes the decision. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So good. Uh, but, yeah. The animation here is beautiful. Oh, They're, yeah. Like, throughout that is beautiful. I mean, the animation is beautiful overall. I'm so very impressed by the rain uh, animation here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the ancestors, uh, we get the ancestors, the, the chief ancestor who is, uh, this was George Takei? Yes. Is doing the voice? George Takei is voicing uh, the head ancestor. I had never realized this until I was looking up all the stuff after this movie that that was Takei, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I was the same way, too. <laughs> and then we're introduced to Mushu. Voiced by Eddie Murphy. Now, how do we feel about Mushu? He's, uh, he stands out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, in general, like Mushu, but it's also definitely a bit of a weird choice. Yeah. So, um, if you haven't guessed, uh, guess the reason why they hired any Murphy for this. Comedy relief celebrity voice. Correct. They wanted the same thing that they did with Robin Williams in Aladdin. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. Although the one... I found this kind of humorous. Um, so, after they hired Eddie Murphy, uh, they asked him, like, uh, oh, yeah, uh, why don't you come uh, voice at the studio? And he's like, studio? No! Come to my basement in New Jersey and we'll film, I'll voice it there. He recorded all his lines in his mansion in New Jersey in his basement. What? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. It's really weird. I don't know why the hell he did that. (laughs) Because he didn't want to travel, I guess. Or that or he's like, let me show off my cool basement where I can do my stuff. (laughs) This is my awesome mansion. Let me show it off in New Jersey. (laughs) For some reason, the idea of New Jersey and mansion don't go together very well. In my... <laughs> no, I thought the same thing. I was when I heard like, "Oh, it's his home in New Jersey." I was thinking like this normal house, like a suburban house in middle of Nowheresville, New Jersey. And then it's I read the article. It says, "No, he it's his mansion," and I'm like, "That's really hard." To <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is like it's more than possible to have a mansion in New Jersey. But yeah. Um, I, so at this point with Eddie Murphy, this is pre him doing a bunch of kid movies and not being very funny. (laughs) Uh, but post him, I don't know. The eighties was his, I felt was his, um, where all the real comedy gold came from. Like I, I genuinely find some of his stand-up funny. I actually, I love Beverly Hills Cop. I loved, um, uh, Coming to America. Like, I, there's a lot of movies I enjoy he, he's been in and that I find he's really funny. But then there's a weird, like, downturn, <laughs> like, when he reaches the 90s. And I feel like this is in the middle of that. So there's moments I find him funny, but I'm with Jenny. He doesn't fit you know when they announced announced the uh the remake of mulan and revealed that mushu wasn't going to be in it a lot of people were very upset and i thought i would very much like to see this movie without mushu and see how it goes because there's only so much slapstick you can put in a movie like this before i'm like oi but um there, when mushu works he's fine and mm-hmm. when he doesn't work he really doesn't work there's not really a middle ground with mushu mm-hmm. in my yeah. opinion so, uh, I, I, there is one gag here. It's mostly with the ancestors when he wakes them up. Yeah, the, the ancestors are all like, de- like complaining about the fact that Mulan has gone off, and um, uh, they get into a fight. By the way, one of the ancestors is voiced by Mary Kay Bergman. Um, oh, who, uh, who is uh, the um, uh, she was married to a, a good friend of ours, Dino Andrade, and. 
uh, sadly has, is passed away. So may she rest in peace, but mm-hmm. she is a prolific voice actress and we did see her as, um, the feather duster and beauty and the beast. So, yeah. Um, um can we, can we talk for a second about like the gag that is yes. actually comes out of left field? It's really funny where they're like, you got demoted after what happened to so-and-so and it shows. It just uh, cuts to him holding his head saying, yeah, yeah thanks, thanks a yeah. lot. <laughs> after you screwed up with Fa-Dang. <laughs> Fa-Dang, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was funny. I don't know why. I laughed so hard at that I'd part. forgotten about that bit entirely. I'm like, why was he demoted? I'm thinking to myself, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good gag. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. fun. Like, you already just know, based off the, like, <laughs> this look alone as him holding his head, realizing, oh, yeah. That's all you need. Um, It's a good visual. Mushu, Mushu has inadvertently killed before he's about to inadvertently kill again because he <laughs> he freaking destroys the stone dragon before he even has a chance to wake up because it doesn't wake up maybe it was already dead maybe it's fled maybe it knows i don't know can we explain i don't why did the stone dragon not i don't know I, it it felt like it just he no longer exists in there or he's gone like they're spirits right i mean right when the when would he this thing actually have come to life as a statue or I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit weird with the other guardians. <laughs> mm-hmm. We never see any of the other guardians either. Like I said, we only see the ancestors in Mushu, so And because he accidentally destroys the uh statue, which That's a that how do you mess up a statue like that? I mean, all he did was like smack it and He's a little dragon, like, you can't, how do you, like, that, he's not that strong, how did that happen? <laughs> I guess it was just structurally unsound from the start. <laughs> I guess so, it was raining on it pretty hard, so. It's weathered down throughout the whole night. <laughs> um, maybe he left because it was raining, like, whoop, better get out of here. He comes back, okay, well, I've been away from my, my vessel's gone. Where's my, <laughs> aww. Uh, Man. So, because Musha realized he messed up, he's like, I will go and be her guardian, and they'll have- They'll have to accept me back if I help her win the war, instead of just bring her back. Because that's the idea. They want to make sure she gets back in one piece. Yeah. But it'll be double- double. He's doubling down on the idea that if I I get Make Move on a war hero, it's going to be even more honorable, Mm -hmm. basically. And then, uh, is this where we cut back to Sean Yu with the scouts? Oh that- yeah, I I think that's where we cut to Shanyu with the scouts. Right. There's not a lot to talk about with this scene except he is, he sends you know he tells so go tell your emperor that we're coming and then he I love actually this is one of my favorite bits is just the whole how many how many men does it take to deliver a message and the archer just pulls back his bow and goes one and it cuts. Oh. Yeah. It's so, that's so dark, I didn't realize yeah, it. Yeah, no, Yu, the only thing Sean Yu has going for him is he's a very dark villain. Like, yeah. he doesn't have much going on personality-wise, but I like how dark he is. By the way, this film was almost going to be rated PG, but not for the reason you think. Oh. The only reason it was almost going to be rated PG is because they used the word cross-dresser. That, really? That, that was going to be the tipping point. Oh. Yep. Wow. Sounds like the 90s uh, rating board to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Mulan and Mushu, they meet, and it's 
It's another scene. <laughs> uh, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to get through the stuff that's like kind of eh, because I want to talk about the good parts, you know? Uh, the yeah. One, I, I do have to admit, the one thing I do like about Mulan starting out is she's not a, like, she doesn't have training. She's not like, oh, yeah, I'm totally a fighter and all that. She's just... A, a scrappy girl who thinks outside the box. Well, she's trying to she's trying to be like she's trying to exhibit what she thinks are masculine traits, and it's like or what people expect men to be like. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, <laughs> that goes about as well as you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Sorry, there. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. uh, fighting and uh, cooking outdoors. Yeah, all that. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Mushu is just as bad at giving her advice about what it is to be a man, too, because he's not a man, he's a little dragon. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, although there is, this is a line that gets quoted a lot, is the whole, dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow! <laughs> I have to imagine, it is a funny line. It is a funny line. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I never remembered until watching it again that uh, Mushu has this whole thing about calling Khan the horse a cow. I was like, oh, yeah, Bessie here. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Mushu's introduction scene is very cool for like when he first meets Mulan. He's got this whole like shadow on the wall and it's playing like some you know, like like church (laughs) gospel music. He's like, oh, I am the great Mushu. (laughs) He's like a televangelist. (laughs) I I do love that he's like the, uh, what was it? I'm the powerful. The the pleasurable. pleasurable. No, I don't want to think that. Thank you, movie. There's there's a couple risque, little low-key risque jokes they drop in there. Like, for example, I can see... Look, you gotta gotta be better at disguising yourself. I can see right through your armor. And she she proceeds to smack him. (laughs) <laughs> and that's when he says, dishonor on you, dishonor on your family. Write this down. And he's all like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's just, I'm new to this. <laughs> I don't blame her. She's nervous. She's, this is, yeah, this is completely new. For, Once again, being forced into a specific gender role has put her outside her comfort zone. Hmm. It's almost like societal expectations of what a specific sex should be are a little silly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Well. In a weird way, I could relate to this, because that was, growing up, that was something that was also pushed upon me. It's like, no, you must be as feminine as possible. You have to like shopping. You have to want to buy shoes. How could you not want to buy shoes? And no, you have to have the guy pay for you no matter what. And I'm like, ah, this doesn't sound right. So yeah, that does exist. There is a lot of pressure when it comes to gender societal norms. It's weird. It's annoying is what it is, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, camp? They go I, to camp? I, He's going to camp. I genuinely... Honestly, my favorite part is the whole camp portions. I think these are the funniest parts. The, like, this is where a lot of the interactions between her and her comrades happen and her growing as a person. Like... And I laughed out loud during most of these scenes, so I genuinely love the camp portions. Oh, well, yeah, it's very funny. You could say the humor is pretty campy. Uh, 
I, you knew that one was coming. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, it's funny because she's going through, like, the camp and she's like, they're disgusting. And it's strange that, like, one of the guys is picking out stuff out of his, <laughs> with chopsticks out of his toes. And you're like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> and it's after, uh, this is, we meet Captain, Captain Shang for the first time. Yep. Yep. Captain Shang. Um, but before that, we get introduced to her three companions, Lao, Ling, and, or, yeah, is it Lao? Yeah, Lao, Ling, and Chien Po. So, Lao is voiced by Harvey Fierstein, which is amazing to me, because, <laughs> uh, Lao is, his character is, like, very, uh, like, he's a firecracker, will, like, punch anything, um, I mean, that's the first time we see him is he punches a guy who's like, this tattoo will protect me from all harm. And he's like, oh, yeah, and takes him in the stomach. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, which is funny because Harvey Fierstein, you would know him uh, as the brother from Mrs. Doubtfire. And... uh, he played uh, Edna Turnblad in the Broadway version of Hairspray. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is amazing that, like, a guy for, like, m- like a long time dressed up in drag for a Broadway show is <laughs> voicing this character. Oh, he's definitely got a, he's definitely got a recognizable voice, that's for darn sure. Mm-hmm. Um... Mm-hmm. And yeah, these, these bits are really funny, and I like how they're already, the, the scuffle kind of breaks out, while, meanwhile, in the tent, you've got Shifu, Captain Shang, and the General. Do we ever learn the General's name? We just know that we he's- We do, we do, but I'm not- we, we just, I just know that him, he's Shang's father. Yeah. Shang is I our, didn't... Shang is the only other, well, is the, the other prominent, or is the other Chinese-American voice actor, right? Yes, yeah, so there's, the two Chinese-American voice actors is- uh, the voice actor for Shang and the voice actress for um, Mulan. So, but, uh, what were you going to say, Jenny? Um, so I uh, I got another thing too along with this, but um, I didn't actually realize that that was Shang's father until I watched it again. That always went over my head, and it kind of made a lot more scenes. We'll see it later stand out a little more because like oh um and one thing is as i googled it to make sh- to see if we ever get like a full name because as i'm seeing we it's just called general lee uh, <laughs> listed under his goal on the disney fandom wiki is goal to save Ch- goal to save china parentheses failed <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh that, wow wow disney wiki wow that's no okay okay wrong, uh, wrong franchise wrong. um uh but oh also ling is voiced by jed watanabe who uh if i recall is long duck dong from uh 16 candles oh yeah but he's done uh, some other stuff too. He was, uh, he's been in Armageddon and, uh, That Thing You Do and, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. So, uh, he, he's had a career, but that's his. Career. I remember him from I Love the, uh, I Love the 80s, yes, actually. Yes. That was how I learned about him as well. Like how awesome. He always, he would always open it, his little sections with, What's, what's happening, happening? Hot stuff. stuff. Jed Watanabe here. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, 
Also a Japanese-American actor. It's interesting because... Who played a racist Chinese caricature in 16 Candles. Yes, Um, and now he's a Chinese character in this movie. I I can't (laughs) fault him for it here, necessarily. Because, like, a lot of people are... Again, it was just the broad skull. Let's cash... Asian actors. Yes. You know, and like, it's like, okay. George Takei is Japanese-American. So is uh, Pat Pat Morita. Pat Morita is Japanese-American. Yeah. Uh, Leia is Filipina. The only two Chinese-American actors are Ming-Na Wen and... Um, B.D. Wong. B.D. Wong. Uh, actually, it's specifically Bradley Daryl Wong, but uh, B.D. Wong. Uh, he actually goes on uh, to be in uh, Mr. Robot as... White Rose. Oh. Yeah. Yep. And I recognized him, too, from uh, Law and Order Special Victims Unit, where he plays the psychiatrist. Uh, that's the main one I know him from. Oh, Oh, nice. he's also Dr. Henry Wu in Jurassic Park. Oh, wow, that's him? That's him. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, he's done a few things. He also performed on Broadway. He was in um, M. Butterfly. Oh, which is based off the opera Madam uh, Butterfly. So, mm-hmm. uh, mm, and butterfly. He, and he actually won a Tony Award for his performance. So, nice. Yeah. Uh, be a man. Can we? Can we? Can we please talk about be a man? Because like the general's like, okay, I gotta. You need to stay here and train the troops. And Shifu's gonna be basically watching you and reporting to well, the emperor. Well, let's not forget. Let's get into before we get into. Be a man. Let's not forget that. Yeah, I know you want to get into be a man, but let's not forget that Mulan makes a terrible impression by like getting into a well, getting into a fight, getting into a fight, and this leads to everybody just falling over. And of course, Mulan gets a blame, and it's here that um, she comes up with comes up uh, comes up with her male name, which is Ping. Right. <laughs> to which I, I, as I'm thinking, as I was thinking about it, I was like, wait a second. Her name is Fa Ping? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bad. Oh, I didn't think about don't it. think about it too much unless you want to. And then in which case, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, mm-hmm. so, we, so they're like, we didn't, I didn't know Fa Zhu had a son. Well, you can see why he's it's a complete lunatic. lunatic. <laughs> this is also an interesting point, as I noticed, because um, I uh, Fazu, I I don't know if that's the Cantonese pronunciation, but Chifu says it in the Mandarin pronunciation, which is Fa Zhou. Oh. oh, hmm. Which is just an interesting little point, because when I first saw that, I was like, that's not how you pronounce that in Mandarin. Then again, it's just people approximating. Mandarin and or uh, Cantonese pronunciations in an English language story. Yeah, so, yeah, it's weird. It can interchange. Um, when does when Shang takes his shirt off for the first time in this scene? Right? Kayla thought she was straight because of this. Oh dear lord! I didn't realize how hot Li Shang was yeah. until rewatching this movie. I'm like, ooh man. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's right. That's right. Mm. <laughs> he is hot. I'll get that arrow, pretty boy, and I'll do it with a shirt on. <laughs> that actually is a really funny line. Yeah. Uh, the arrow is a good uh the arrow is a good symbolic thing that comes into play. Mm-hmm. I did like that. And yes, now we can get into make a man out of you. Oh yes. this is such okay. This is an incredible montage song, and that's why everybody sings it it's and it's so good. 
I have watched and listened to this song more times than I can count. I know all of the words by heart. I can. I adore this song. It's one of my favorite Disney songs. Me too. It is incredible. This is the highlight. This is like the highlight song of the movie for me, for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. Reflection is beautiful. This is this is like ugh, this is like this makes you feel pumped. It's listenable. It's uh, you can you can it's it's fun to sing along. Oh, yeah. With it, with people, especially when you've been drinking. Oh, it's don't care who you are or what you identify as. You know that in during this song, you want to you want to sing along and sing about how to be a man. You must be swift as the coursing river. Like, it's not be a man. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, go into a bar with a group of people and just say sing. Um, Let's get down to business. I will assure you somebody will join in, and then suddenly it'll turn into a round of people singing the song. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> but in, in as a in terms of um a visual montage, it's really good as well. Like yeah. um uh oh before I get into that, the animation part, uh um fun fact, uh Donny Osmond's uh kids after seeing this thought this is how he became big. They thought, oh, now that you've done a Disney movie, this is, you're now successful. (laughs) (laughs) Not like, you know. It's not like he wasn't at, he wasn't at uh, Disneyland in the 60s for the opening of the uh, Haunted Mansion. Nope. (laughs) I get to ride with EJ because I'm the bravest. (laughs) Little baby Donny Osmond. So, um, but yeah, no, the animation is, is great. The montage is fantastic. It, it does a good job in the span of it building. And again, even though the song is playing in the background, it's still, since it's a montage, it's telling the story visually with the song as the framing device, which is great. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, and there is a, a story that happens. You see Mulan and also the rest of the camp basically failing to start with, and Mulan basically... Mulan is being constantly antagonized during all this by the, um... By those three, uh, the the hitchhiking soldiers. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, the the three stooges. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, she's messing up quite a bit too. And then uh, it's not until um, again, her main superpower is thinking outside of the box. So one of the things that has been difficult for the whole camp that they could not do is climbing. This, uh, log, um, pole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To reach the top of the arrow. And they have to do it with, um, gold. Heavy, heavy medallions. Yeah. I don't know if they're gold, but they're, they're supposed to be very heavy. That, like, even Yao, the tough guy, is like, they, they drop as soon as they're in his hands. Exactly. But what Mulan does is she uses it, um, basically puts them together and uses it as a, almost like a rope to help, actually help her get up the, um, pole. Again, her- They they really do a good job establishing throughout the movie how she uses ingenuity. Her own ingenuity is what helps her get through situations like this. Like, she doesn't, there wasn't never a a specificity about how you had to get up there, as long as you had the weights. And so she uses the weights to her advantage as a climbing aid. And that's what's really cool. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, that's how she wins the um, the respect of her peers. Because they realize, oh, this guy can do 
Yeah. Yeah. This is after all the fuck ups and Shang is like, pack up, go home, you're through. <laughs> she could have easily left. You know that, right? Like he, he I thought about that. She could have left and gone home and been like, Well, they never found out it was me and I got officially discharged, so eh but then but she would have bought, brought back the aunt the dishonor of, of being discharged. And that would have the family they would have remembered that the son that we never see in the uh, in the Fa family brought dishonor by being basically discharged from the army. Mm-hmm. But it, instead of dying honorably in the war. I feel with this it's more something to prove to herself. Like she's like, no, you know what? I can do this. Right. I want to. I'm so tired of failing. And I, uh, like, I'm just saying you could see it both ways too. That's true. That is you know, absolutely like she's true. like it could be her being like, I can prove that I can do this, and the other part being like. If I go, I might as well do it because I'm going to bring dishonor. So, but I can get, but it definitely leans more toward, no, I'm going to figure out how to do this because I've already been through all this. And yeah, I keep thinking about the sort of individualism versus family piety thing. Yeah. And yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely more of a Western, more of an American thing specifically. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, the song ends with them basically being an amazing army. And now- I, I love the shot where they're all fighting with staves and they're on that just red background. Yeah. Oh, it's so, such a beautiful scene. Yeah. Oh, so striking. It's like <laughs> both literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then this leads to the baths. <laughs> Oh gosh, <laughs> the bath scene. Um, Before that, though, we get one more. Uh, we get one more instance with Sean Yu and uh, Hayabusa. Hayabusa continues to be the most useful character in the Hun army, as you as you stated, Jenny. That's shows right. up uh-huh. with the doll, Ooh. and he's like, "Here, what do you see on this?" And each of the Huns like takes it and is like, "Ah, oh, horse hair from an imperial horse," and smells like i don't remember exactly all what they said <laughs> it's just like but, we know we know that the imperial army is waiting for us in the tunshao pass and uh we know we they they don't know they they don't know that we know that they're there so we're gonna take their we're gonna basically cancel their surprise attack yeah uh the the huns are all like okay we should avoid that and go in and shan yu's like no, we have to, sh- the quickest way to the Emperor is through the pass, and we're going to show them how strong we are. <laughs> Besides, the little girl's going to want her, probably misses her doll. We should give it back. I'm like, stop being so creepy. <laughs> yeah, so. This guy, this guy just, Oof. this is a guy who kills people for fun. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter who they are. I bet you anything, he probably walked into the little girl, went here, and then stabbed her. Aww. You know. We never see oh. it, but you know the implications are there. And then the humorous bat bathing scene. <laughs> yeah. Levity. <laughs> Where Levity involving Oh my gosh. Involving water that no one can see through. Thank goodness she's bathing in Milky <laughs> in a Milky River. That yep. She's bathing in Disney water where they dye it green so you can't see the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this is where uh, the three stooges start trying to, you know, make friends. But they're all like, I, we know we were, you know, we were a bit rude before. <laughs> <laughs> Do we remember the part where, like, Ling's doing a backstroke and then the lily pad is so perfectly placed? <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of uh, little, like, scenes where uh, there's an implied... <laughs> 
Like when Yao gets up on the rocket, it's just the camera's right between his legs, but just below where you'd see anything is like, I'm the king of the rock now. <laughs> I love the fact that that's the scene where, where like Mulan looks up in horror and you see her face framed between his legs and water dripping just off. Just like, his, oh, just my. like, oh no. And I love it when she finally gets out of the water, like, I hope I never see another naked man as long as I live. Cue stampede of the entire <laughs> army running to skinny dip. <laughs> And a traumatized Mulan is just like, uh. <laughs> and she barely manages to get out of the pool until, like, Mushu bites Ling. On the we butt. never said, it, it, I assume it's all the butt, but no, I kind of gotta wonder where. No, no, he says specifically, I'm not biting any more butts. Yeah, he does. Oh, that. yeah, yeah, you're right. Thankfully. <laughs> he specified where he bit. Uh, uh, <laughs> it would be a lot worse if he bit something else. I do have a personal story. Um. That's, oh. uh, okay. okay. Uh, so my my high school does this typical senior prank, uh, and the senior prank for my senior year was the full football team decided to wear masks and streak throughout the, the schoolyard. So between classes, I'm turning my head, and all of a sudden I see a bunch of <laughs> wobbling around right past me, and I'm like, wow, I did not expect to see this today. <laughs> For one brief moment, you were a Famulan. I was. <laughs> I froze, like, Famulan, like, ah, yeah, mm, no, I'm good. <laughs> it's funny that they were able to get away with uh, so much in this scene just by being kind of clever about it, and I thought, I think it's funny. I think this scene's pretty funny. It's, it's, it's a weird scene. It is. Mm-hmm. I, it's a weird scene. Does it really serve the rest of the movie? It's just like, haha, because, you know, fish out of water, but literally just... I guess it's a point where... Near misses. It's definitely meant to be a humor scene, but I guess it's a way to show that um, uh, Mulan has basically re- received the respect of her peers and gets to know these two... I mean, give more familiarity to the three characters. That's true, because they do become mm-hmm. more important as we go. We got a little bit of framing with them earlier, but now it's really, um, really apparent. Yeah. So on the way back into camp, um, Mulan overhears the conversation between Shifu and, uh, and Li Shang about the, um, about the sort of like how he's just like, you, this is, uh, Shifu is definitely just going to be like, I don't care about nepotism. You're not doing a good job. This army is pathetic, and I'm going to give a full report to the emperor about how terrible this whole situation is. And then uh, I like that there's a moment there's uh, there's a moment that passes between Mulan and Shang that's really just awkward. I, well, one of the things that Chifu says, and this is there's no chemistry. This is, this is harsh. I'll be real. Well, but okay, this is harsh. So Chifu actually says to him, "Is like, by the way, I got this job on my own." Like, that is such a smack in the face. Like, Captain Shang knows what he's doing. Like, it's been proven, but Chifu is just being a jerk. Yeah. Um, Chifu but- set out from the start as soon as, like, uh, the general was all like, I'm giving this to you. That's when Chifu was like, okay, yeah, this dude's gonna fail. I don't care if he succeeds. I'm gonna tell say he failed. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> no, you're right. The chemistry between Mulan and Shang is... Minimum. Uh, yeah. But it, the good part is, 
Their relationship, yeah, it's hinted that they have a crush on each other, but they never end it with, like, them having a kiss or anything, or uh, them realizing their feelings for each other, um, as we realize as we go along through this journey. Because uh-huh. the focus is kept on Mulan. For yeah, which part. is good. I feel like yeah. Shang could have been removed as a love interest, and the movie wouldn't have lost anything for it. It's very- yeah, it's... Definitely a little shoehorned in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, because of the whole thing, you like him, don't you? You know, there's that whole bit. It's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, well, yeah, I, did you see him shirtless? I mean, <laughs> how could you yeah. not? <laughs> Fair. Uh, but, uh, the, the, this is, okay, so this is the bit I want to talk about, though, because they, they need to frame it so that, um, they can, get the army where they need to be without Shifu messing everything. So when Shifu goes to take a bath in the river, <laughs> um, they do that thing where they forge a letter from the general. And I really like this whole bit because Cricky does that. This is, I thought it was really cute when he's jumping on the letter, putting his legs in ink and it's making a typewriter noise. And he's yeah. where he hops it, like writes it out. I'm like, see, that's a good gag to use the cricket for. I liked that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, that was cute. I liked that. And then I liked, I, the part where they roll up in the in Mulan's armor with this basically scarecrow on the panda, uh, that part is <laughs> hilarious to me. Yeah, it's great. It's like Shifu's like looking at the panda like what? <laughs> Mushu's like, "What? You ain't never seen a black and white before." <laughs> um, and then that this actually leads them to like, "Oh, we're needed at the front line." And then this leads into the awesome, another good song, uh, A Girl We're Fighting For. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, I, it's a definitely a catchy song, too. All the songs in here are really good. Uh, but I like that there's not too many songs. This isn't really a musical. It's just kind of like we get the occasional song break. But compared to other Disney movies, the, the songs are used in good spots. I mean, no, not just not counting credit songs. There's four songs in this movie. Yeah, there's only four songs. Yeah, actually, no, you're right. And actually, it's the credit song is a real banger too. So like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get, get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. Um, eventually. <laughs> but have you noticed that um, h- halfway through, it just stops with the musicals. Like all of the musical numbers begin in the first half of the movie. Yeah, it's like there is a point where just everything shifts and that's after um a girl was fighting for it. and I'll, I'll talk about that after we discuss the song uh, uh this, this song's cute this, so. yeah this is the last song until like the end where there's a, like a little reprise of be a man yeah um and this is really good in how they end this like it's a great musical number i love i always sing along i know this one by heart again yeah <laughs> Um, and just, and then it comes to my favorite scene, one of like the most, any scene in any Disney movie, it has affected me the most where all of a sudden music stops, (laughs) right? And like, just at the end of this great, happy musical, and then the camera pans and we see a burnt village. That's that one lone bell. That's just kind of like swinging slightly in the wind, making a little hollow noise, and that's, like, the only sound. Uh-huh. Oh. I, 
Yeah, I'm with you, Jenny. Actually, after we watched the scene, I had to pause and like, you don't understand, David. I need to discuss this really quick. Um, this is literally like the horror of war in one moment has just hit all these these newbies, you know? Uh huh. It's just to see the look on their faces. Very few words are said during this, too. And oh, this whole scene is so good. Uh, yeah, and the point where the Shang discovers that the general has passed away, and it's his—I mean, it's his father. So he like they find his. Can, father. can we can we talk about how how like crazy it is that the camera pans up and you see that field just littered with debris, mm-hmm. and you can see the outline of of bodies like yeah. the, of dead soldiers. Yeah, like, you see, this was a massacre. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. The, the strongest left. troops in the Chinese army didn't stand a chance. No, not at all. And it, it is, it's sad. It is just, wow. It, it is, it, it does hit you in, in the stomach. I think what makes it work is the contrast between the song, A Girl We're Fighting For, and then hits you with this and you're like, oh, but that's what war is. It, yeah. They use the meta narrative to reinforce the feelings and help you empathize with the characters. Like you go from the happiest shit in the world uh, into just the lowest point in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. I and um, one of the more beautiful things too is again when he gets his father's helmet. It's this is just so quiet. It's just Captain Shane takes his father's helmet. Um, walks to the, uh, like a mountainside, um, and then puts his father's helmet on a, his sword and just says a quiet prayer. And mm-hmm. all Mulan says when she approaches him is, I'm sorry. And he doesn't say anything, but he does touch her shoulder as a way to, like, say, like, show appreciation. But then there's a moment when he goes to his horse and you can just see the devastation in his face that, he realizes, oh my gosh, my father just died. I don't have time to grieve. I have to lead my troops right now and mm-hmm. go into captain mode. And it's so beautifully done. It's so tragic. And the fact that there is minimal dialogue here speaks volumes. Like, again, oh, this is such a great scene. The silent approach, what as they said. What hits me is also when Mulan finds the the same doll. Yeah. And, and she lays it at the same little, like, uh, shrine or, you know, grave thing that uh, Chang set for his father. She lays it there, and you can see this really affects people, and it, it shows how brutal Shan Yu is. Um, apparently, there's also a deleted scene that showed this massacre of the village on screen. What? Uh, uh-huh. Uh, and it makes clear that Sean, you will not let anyone out of this alive. And it, like, it, it goes to show that he's not even above slaying even members of his own army. Should they show any particular degree of weakness? Like, apparently there's supposed to be like a scene. The scene where like a soldier shows some mercy and Sean Yu kills him. <laughs> wow. Jeez. And yeah, it's and rough. I, I think it's better that they took that out because this it wouldn't this scene wouldn't be as nearly as powerful if we saw that 
that oh, massacre. Yeah, yeah it's, it was, it, we're, it's hitting us at the same time as it's hitting this the the recruits. Yeah, the this was face. definitely better. Yeah, but. but we're following Mulan's journey, and that's how it should be. We should be following Mulan throughout this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, they they this is so good. So and it's you're right. This is kind of where the movie takes a turn a little bit. Although we're immediately followed by. By the way, Mulan is the only other person who brought their own horse. It looked like <laughs> yeah, Shang has a horse, but Mulan has Khan, and that's it. So they use Khan to pull the the cannon wagon. And then, for no reasons we will never learn, Mushu ruins everything and sends a, a firework. Why did he do that? That makes they no... They pointed, there's that bit where they, like, Cricky and Mushu pointed at each other. And by the way, no one knows that Cricky and Mushu are with, um, are with Mulan. Somehow. Despite, Somehow. uh, But you just gave away our position, and then that's when they get attacked by the, the Huns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it starts off real good. Like this, watching the scene of like the arrows come flying out, and you you feel like you're in the battle there. Yeah. It sets the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I had read, apparently, like you know, we we see the scene of them shooting the flaming arrows at everyone, and they, you know, get the cannons and shoot down the archers as best they can. And then up over the snowy horizon comes army of uh Huns. And apparently they had made a whole like program, like a software to <laughs> animate that that they named Attila. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was just going to say that. And I thought that was funny. I thought it was great, too. <laughs> Shang took an arrow during this scene, by the way, but it doesn't seem to affect him so much as the little scratch Mulan gets later from Shanyu's sword. Mm -hmm. So, um, (laughs) again, displaying her ingenuity, though, we got this, like, I'm reminded of the Wildebeest from The Lion King. And by the way, the way that they animate everything moving and crashing through the snow, footsteps and snow disturbances, is amazing. Oh, yeah. And the detail is is exquisite here. This is an incredibly animated scene. Uh, but yeah, her ingenuity, she realizes, she sees, uh, the mountaintop and realizes, you know what, we can't, we're not gonna be able to all get them, but Mother Nature can. So she aims the cannon at the mountaintop, which creates the avalanche. Um, fun fact. <laughs> I know of, what's coming. Out of every Disney movie, any Disney character, Mulan has the highest body count. <laughs> Yeah, because um, we'll find out later, but not a lot of Huns make it out of that. Nope. What was it like five or six Huns survive that yes. avalanche? Uh, six. <laughs> so there. Does that include Shanyu? That does not include Shanyu. So there's seven Huns that survived. No, no, no. It's, sorry, it does include include Shanyu. So five other Huns and Shanyu survived yes. the avalanche. Yep. Um. Now there's a debate about what the number is. <laughs> well, okay. I have multiple sites that tell me that the her body count is 3,994 because they're saying there were 4,000 Huns. But all my sources, when it comes to researching um, how they animated the, the, the Hun soldiers, they keep saying it's 2,000. So I don't know where the 4,000 came from. I... 
it's still, no matter what, it's still going to be a high body count. Mm -hmm. She still has the highest body count. That's 1,994. Yeah. People. Oh, yeah. She she still has the highest body count in terms of... Oh, absolutely. Uh, And another great part about that scene is, like, when uh, Li Shang is ready to go, he, like, pulls out his sword. He's He's basically, like, we will, like we will probably die here, but we're going to fight for honor. And, you know, I like the like recurring theme there of like Mulan protecting, you know, people from going to die for honor. Uh huh. <laughs> she does it for her dad and she does it for Shang and the rest of the army. Ain't that true. And you know, they probably would have gotten a lot further getting some stuff done. If not, had not Hayabusa rolled in and knocked things out of people's hands. Like, like he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So instead of a match, she lights it with Mushu. <laughs> yep, and Mushu almost dies. We see him later surfing on a Hun shield, trying to find them. There's a big action sequence involving almost going over a cliff, and Mulan's friends with an arrow, and, and a grapple, and her being able to tie Khan really quickly to a makeshift pulley. Um, yeah. It's kind of crazy, but it's it works. And then after saving everybody's life, she... Uh, she succumbs to her injury, and later, while she goes unconscious, you know, she's treated for her wounds, and the doctor, you see, all you don't do is say anything. Doctor comes out of the tent, goes up to Shang, like, tugs on his sleeve, whispers something to him, and he goes, oh, no, and he goes in the tent, and then she sits up, and it's like, she's got her, her top wrapped up in bandages, and it's like, press! <laughs> yep. You're a girl. Before we continue on, I want to talk about like one of my favorite jokes from that avalanche scene where, you know, Yao first shoots the arrow and he's like, I'm going to get him. And he misses. Yeah. And then later it's like, I just let him slip through my fingers. <laughs> and he catches he the catches arrow. <laughs> I think they're all trying to hold it. And Shampoo is just like, I got you all. <laughs> yeah, Chianpu literally has the strength to pick up like 10 men and a horse. <laughs> yeah. He's amazing. It's, I, I, I would love to see more jokes about his strength. That I, I think that would have been pretty awesome yeah yeah instead all we got were mostly fat jokes yeah. which yeah I, like food. <laughs> I do like that chin po has got like the whole almost like uh like uh buddhist kind of attitude he walks around doing everything very calmly he's always got his hands in like a steeple position generally speaking mm. he's just very just low-key about so many things and i like that uh the, is... the one oh, you... oh i was just gonna say uh the one sad thing is um the reason why they didn't explore more Buddhist uh, values or Buddhism in general is because the uh, uh, Tony Brown Croft is a Christian. So. Oh, <laughs> okay. What can you do? Um, well, so uh, uh, yeah, this again, she's <laughs> discovered, and um, the penalty is death because treason. Because she wanted to fight for her country. I. God. Women aren't allowed to do what men do. It's an abomination, apparently. Yep. Despite the fact she all saved you guys. Well, that's why I appreciate that Shang was just like, no, life for life. 
Let's just go. We're just going to leave you here to die in the snow. Well, okay. She had everything. That you they say didn't take she, her stuff. They didn't take her stuff. She still had her horse. We saw she had a bag with her clothes. She had um, dumplings. She had dumplings. Like, she's... And even she was like, well, I gotta face my father sooner or later. She's just sitting there right now in the snow afterwards, because she's... It, it is still a devastating part, and she knows that, oh, I don't want to go home, because if I'm if I'm here, I, I don't have to go home yet and face my father and basically show... I've dishonored him. Yeah. Yep. And we have some emotional scene where her and Mushu talk. And then we get the number one in top ten anime betrayals as Cricky <laughs> says something. And Mushu's like, what? You're not lucky? <laughs> and what are you, a sheep? <laughs> <laughs> I do like this moment between her and Mushu. Like, I, I wasn't expecting this much character development between the doofy, goofy side character. But I actually appreciated this. They made Mushu more of a... I, I maybe appreciate the, the friendship between Mushu and Mulan here, you know? Yeah. It is a very sweet moment. Again, I don't it, I don't hate Mushu. I don't hate Mushu either. I just don't think he... I just think there's some bits where I'm just like, ugh, he's yeah. just... The slapstick it, doesn't really work all the time. Yeah, it goes to show, despite how much uh, Mushu is kind of a... a <laughs> He's a he's a, a bit of a screw up and pushes things a little weird. That in the end he really does care for Mulan. Yeah. Yeah. So um, as they're leaving, Sean Yu pulls his way out of the snow and roars at in ang- in frustration and anguish, possibly because his whole army got wrecked. Yeah. I mean, if you lost to like almost all of your troops and it's almost it was like two thousand worth, that you'd be pretty mad as well. Yeah. Understandable. But she hears it, and she's like, oh, crap, the Huns. I gotta go warn everybody. Um, did it seem to you like they set up this victory party in the Imperial, like, at the Imperial Palace, like, really quickly? <laughs> this feels like it's the same day that they yeah. the Huns. Yeah. They got a full parade with fireworks and all this stuff going on. <laughs> also, the Huns moved pretty fast if they were, since they were able to get there and disguise themselves as the Chinese dragon that's in the parade. Mm-hmm. Cartoon logic, I guess. Oh, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I don't think about it when I'm watching it, because, and I've always said this, if there are plot holes, if the, there, there can be plot holes if the movie is good and tells a good story. Yeah. You can usually forgive them. The plot holes become more noticeable when the movie or story is bad. Yes. Yeah. This isn't a bad movie or a bad story, but I just noticed it anyway. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, she tries to warn them and they're like, nope, you're a woman. Can't. Mm." Everything you say is woman-y and therefore wrong. And she has a good line of retort, and she's like, you said you would trust Ping with anything. What makes Mulan different? I like that. I like mm-hmm. that a lot. And then she's just going up to random people and touching their shoulders, and they're just going like, ew, and walking away. Harumph. Right. <laughs> Harumph. <laughs> that's what the close captioning says for all of them. Harumph. Uh-huh. That's, that's good. Um... um. And then we get the good scene where um, uh, Shang is presenting the sword of Shan Yu to the uh, emperor. And I didn't realize how like how much that meant at the time, because that's the sword of the guy who killed his father, probably. Oh, yeah, right. That's right. 
Yeah. And that's why the Emperor's like, I know what this means to you. Are you sure? You don't want to keep the sword of your enemy? Yeah. Regardless of what he feels, he doesn't get to keep it long. Yeah, because the dragon that's dancing behind Shang this whole time being a little ominous presence in the scene. <laughs> Let's not forget, and... most confident hung. Oh, yeah. It takes yeah. the sword away from it, brings it back to its owner. Man, Sean Yu doesn't need an army. He just needs Hayabusa. Hayabusa. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and then they kidnap the emperor and lock him in his own palace. No, I'm surprised that the crowd isn't like freaking out trying to break in to save him. Oh, yeah. I... Yeah, because they're all even still gathered there by the end of this, like the whole thing. <laughs> no one like, goes anywhere. Do you think they're just like, you think this is a uh, part of the show? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Huh, what's hmm. going on? Okay, I guess we'll wait and see what happens. <laughs> Either way, it takes um once this happens, that's when it's only when they the emperor is being threatened and they realize, oh, Mulan was right, and then Mulan shows up like, hey, I got a plan, and they're like, okay, cool, we'll do your plan. Yeah. And then we get the reprise, be a man, where they mm-hmm. all dresses, well, almost all of them dress as uh, courtly women. Well, because they were like, oh, Mulan was right. She actually did, like, he... Did. I, just, I just appreciate the contrast, be a man, and here they all are doing Dressed the, as women. Dressed as women. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, it's a wonderful scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, everyone except for Shang dresses up, and then they climb the tower using little, like, ribbon stuff, just like how Mulan climbed up the pole earlier. Mm-hmm. David, you're an audio guy. Do you remember? Did, was there a snap when they were, <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there was a stock snap. There's se- yeah. I can't even. I lost count of how many stock sounds there were, but I definitely recognized them when I heard them. They were really obvious. Like, mm-hmm. like, okay, Hayabusa makes the classic falcon noise, but it's not really a falcon, according to our good friends at Animal Fa- Fact Files. That sound you generally hear is a red-tailed hawk. They have a very distinct <clears throat> cry, but it's used for every other kind of predator raptor. Shout out to Elaine Kylie from Animal Fact Files. I said that really quickly. It's all wrong. good. They're, Animal And they have been with, they have joined us on the show too. Yeah, so it's all listen good. Listen to Lion King if you want to hear more from them. Yes. Um, the Emperor is being threatened by Sean Yu behind closed doors on a balcony. And, uh, there's that whole, to about no matter how hard the wind blows, the mountain will not bow. Yes. It's the Emperor for you. Yes. Thank you, Riddler. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we kind of get the, I, 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 I appreciate that we got that scene where, the, the, oh, concubines. Ugly concubines. Ugly concubines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they approach and they're all like flirty and then just an apple <laughs> drops out of fling. Like, and it's, it's what, it's what used yeah, as one of his breasts. So he's like, oh, I'll use the fan to hide it. Yep. And <laughs> he reaches down to grab the apple, like hand it back to him. And then the rest of them all pull out a bunch of fruits, like Chien Po has two watermelons and <laughs> Yao has like a banana. <laughs> Apparently bananas make good breasts? Question mark? It's it's still I don't know. It works. It's it still works. They are able to take him down and Mushu defeats Hayabusa with fire. Yeah. Oh yep. That's where Hayabusa gets turned into a chicken. <laughs> I think there's a, I this is actually a funny gag where like she's running, um trying to just go making it up as she goes and there's 
Here's Mushu riding Hayabusa like it's a horse. Yep, that's just in a bit. Because, you know, yeah. they, they get the door open and Shangli and Mulan rush in uh, to save the Emperor. And they do, but it's a little bit of a knockdown drag out fight for a while. Mm-hmm. There were so many opportunities when Sean Yu could have straight up killed them, but he yeah. didn't because it's a kid's movie. But I'm looking at the scene like kicks him to the ground, easily could have just d- turned and backhanded, you know, him with the sword and, you know, s- slit his gullet open. But, you know. No, we have. To- I-, I do like the fact, though, that Sean Yu, uh, when he, when Mulan admits that, uh, she was the soldier. Uh, he's like, the soldier from the mountain, forget this, I'm going after her. Doesn't care that it was, she was... Uh, you I'll... killed 2,000 of my best friends, at least. <laughs> uh-huh. He's, and, like, it's very obvious that it's, you know, uh, her too, because, like, the whole scene on the mountain is him charging, like, right at her, and he slashes her, and, like, he gets a good look at her yeah. as she <laughs> annihilates it. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, this leads to a pretty decent fight scene on the roof, to be honest. it's I like the fact that all of the fight scenes are actually genuinely tense and are nerve-wracking. And I like how he pops up through the roof like a Frankenstein monster. Yeah. Roar! <laughs> like, how'd you do that? It's he's Sean Yu. He, he, he popped out of the snow like a monster coming that's, back That's from why the dead, I keep so. saying that he's not really human. <laughs> Yeah. They're, they're, they, like, they did it on purpose to make him not feel human. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. And we also get a little bit before that, you know, when uh, Mushu's running along with Mulan, and she's all like, I'm going to get this up as they go. And she's like, uh, and she comes up with a plan, and she directs Mushu over to the fireworks tower. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when we get to see a fun little scene where Mushu somehow... Oh, yeah, because he hopped on, like, a bat-looking kite and then popped into the fireworks tower. It's like, <laughs> he gets a Batman scene. Yeah. Like, I'm You're your worst nightmare. nightmare. <laughs> uh, so 8-year-old Kayla thought that was the funniest thing ever and would rewatch that scene. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Mushu also has a body count of two now. <laughs> oh, yeah, those two people who jumped off the tower? Three it looks like ju- they get thrown, not yeah. jump. I yeah. thought they jumped. I thought they jumped, honestly, but maybe they were thrown. Who knows? It was a little hard to tell for sure, but it looked like one of them was, like, feet up. <laughs> it's just That's cool. like it was tossed. Straight up stunt falling off of the tower. There's a crash pad somewhere down there. Yeah, um, apparently. That body count actually becomes three for Mushu. Because, um, uh, Sean Yu is, uh, trapped by his own sword, and there's Mushu saying, it basically has this big rocket on his back. I am ready, baby. Light me, Light me up. <laughs> and it yeah. goes right into um, Sean Yu killing him. Actually, I do like, I thought this was funny, is Mulan running, she's like, get off the roof, get off the roof, get off the roof. Because I'm like, <laughs> yep. I would say the exact same thing. Yeah. I'm like, yep, I yeah. But yeah, uh, I I have to hand it to Sean Yu. He goes out in a literal blaze of glory. Yeah, that's... And it was mentioned that that's probably a pretty graphic death. That man exploded. He yeah. did. Luckily, it was showered by... It was covered by colorful fireworks because he, he sent flying into the whole stash of fireworks. That all explodes at the same time, immolating him instantly and lighting yep. up the sky and making everybody really impressed. 
<laughs> and every, like, literally everybody in everybody in the city saw that. Everybody in the square watched this fight scene go, and they're like, "Wow, that was awesome! What a great finale!" <laughs> I like that there, there's people watching, like, "Ooh, I, this is a better show than it was last year." <laughs> man, I, man, I love Fantasmic. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and they and I read that they specifically. Uh, killed Sean Yu with the firework to avoid the Disney plumage <laughs> trope. We don't get to add, add another one to our counter. Curses! Oh, yeah. I should really do a tally at some point and recount how many we have, but not not now. That, that'll come later. <laughs> um, well, when Before an episode where we know there's going to be a fall, we'll we'll go come up with the, the, the current tally. Mm-hmm. Uh... But then there's the whole, she's a woman, she can't be a hero, she, high treason, how dare she? And then Emperor's like, uh, no, back up. <laughs> I'm the Emperor, I have a whole divine rulership go thing going on here. And also I have yeah. the voice of Pat Morita backing me up too, so. Fair. Step off. Also yeah. fair. Uh, a great scene where the Emperor is just listing off all the stuff she did. Treason, woman being an army, and then he's like... And you saved us all. And then he bows to her. I like that everybody bows to Mulan. Oh, yeah. She was she was hoping to bring honor to her family. Yeah, I think she just brought a lot of honor to her family. Here's a sword. <laughs> Here's a medallion. Do you want to be one of my entertainers? I'm just a fire Shifu, basically. I will do it. And she's like, can I just go home? This has been, like, a big, like long year for me okay here's all this stuff yeah cool let's go Kaon. and off she oh, goes although i like the f- she decides to hug the emperor which is I, I it's adorable but i i like the fact that allows us is she allowed to do that because i was thinking the same thing i'm like is she yeah, yeah. <laughs> um she goes back home question does her family not know anything that just happened this happened over the course of one night it did. So when she gets there, I don't think they've heard anything from the from the main city yet, but she just rolls in. She's like, I have the sword on you. I have the medal. Are you proud of me, Dad? And he's just like, greatest gift and honor is having you for a daughter. I'm like, aww. Aww. Good dad. Mm-hmm. Good dad. And uh, nice little Chekhov gun, the same little uh, sock, uh, orchid blossom that from earlier blooms and kind of like floats down to him and that's when like uh Fazu's like like his eyes go wide and he then he looks over and whoa it's Mulan. Yeah. <laughs> she just proved herself worthy as a soldier and just yep. came, with a high body count now. <laughs> I single-handedly defeated all the Huns. All the, the Huns. Huns. Good job me. <laughs> <laughs> um and I, okay, I do appreciate this, even though there was like again next to no chemistry between Shang and Mulan. I like the idea that he shows up and it's a little bit awkward, but it's just like maybe there could be something from this. And it's not like it's not like it ends with a kiss or anything. It's just like you want to stay for dinner. Just do you, you want to get- stay forever? <laughs> <laughs> I love June Foray. And yeah, I, again. There's a potential romance, but it's not, it's not a... It's not a centerpiece of the movie. No, and that's, I like that. Yeah. Because if the focus was their romance, then I would have a problem with the fact that they don't have much chemistry. But 
because it's not the centerpiece and the whole thing is just sort of like awkwardness throughout the whole time and it's like he's now just seeing her as a woman for the first time realizes oh i think i'm kind of attracted to her i i will i still need to show you this david there's like a whole comic of shang discovering he's gay he works the reason why I think he, he works, works out, you can tell. Yeah. I think what makes him work is the fact that they did decide to make the general his father. And uh-huh. that provides, like, expectation on him. It gives it an idea of his life uh-huh. style. And, mm-hmm. again, the whole scene where his father does die make it even more tragic. So he does have enough character for his purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, is uh- it amazing? No, but... No, I'm just, I'm just being, I'm just being rude. Yes. But, 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 but more importantly, the ancestors are pleased. Mushu is reinstated and we get a dance party. And it ends. And, yeah, and I, thinking about it, is this the first movie that did the, the last scene is the dance party kind of thing that's become popular now? Because I can't think of anything else before this. I think so. I don't remember. Maybe. I mean, I think that the ending of this, I think I like that it ends with the ancestors. I, I wonder, they've subsist on honor. They can't be around much unless there's honor, I imagine. So they're like, hmm, yeah. mm, we're having a feast on honor. All this honor flowing to us. Yeah. And just Fadang throwing his head around like, yeah, like a ball. <laughs> that was funny. I always really liked the way that this ended with like Mushu and um, Mulan on the steps. And, you know, they're kind of congratulating each other. And little brother runs by. Mushu! Movie ends. And we get the um, pop song. And, okay, there has been, like, pop songs in the past, but they've been, like, retellings of the, uh, so, like, the theme songs, like, Beauty and the Beast is a, they made into a pop song, or... Yeah, or uh, Go the Distance, and the last one had a kind of, or was it? No. No, Go to the Distance was a, it made into a pop song. It was singing by Michael Bolton. That's right. At the end. That's right. Uh, again, the it's a song that was in the uh, movie that they get a, like, a pop singer to sing. Right, And they, right. Do, they still do that here with Christina Aguilera. Right, but this, but this one, much like the previous one, this ended with, you know, that one ended with A Star is Born, and that bleeds into the credits. Yeah, this... Which is w- nice. This one has a song that starts in there and then also bleeds into the credits. But, but the interesting part is the song is True to Your Heart, and it has 98 Degrees with Stevie Wonder, which is... This pop song is... I song like is, this song a I, lot. Yeah, I do too. It's good, but uh, I think, again, it feels off to kind of end it that way, where it's just like, this movie doesn't really have anything like that, and then we're just going to end it on this super poppy song? Well, didn't have that weird part where it broke into a synth breakbeat, 80 synth breakbeat. Yeah. yeah. But it works. Moment. But it works there. I'm not saying this doesn't work. I just think, I just, the song is so darn catchy. That's fair. On its own, yeah, it's a really catchy song. Um, I think the reason why is they did this, and it's because of Matthew Wilder's background. He is, I mean, he was a pop singer, and then yeah, he eventually became a music producer for pop stars. Right. So... It, it's in his nature. Actually, he did the music, and um, David Zippel did the lyrics for these songs. Right. Which is interesting that, like, they decide to do that. Like, decide, they write, like, all these, like, Broadway Disney songs and then pop song. Um, again, I really like this song. 
on its own. Um, does it fit the movie? No, but on its own, I really do, really do enjoy it. The music video is hilarious because, wow, they are dressed so badly. Oh my gosh, that, mmm. They look like such a boy band. Wow. Well, uh, they are. But... I know they are a boy band, but 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 Stevie Wonder's in this. Yeah, and Stevie Wonder's amazing. Yeah, Stevie Wonder's really good. It's really good. I re- okay, I so... like this song a lot. I used to listen to it a lot as a kid. Here's the funny part: Young Kayla actually did grow up with Stevie Wonder because um, my dad was a fan of Stevie Wonder. I was shocked to see this. I was like, "Wow, this this sounds really familiar." I Who's that guy? And then my dad's like, that's Stevie Wonder. I'm like, what? <laughs> and uh, I knew Stevie Wonder because I knew about Superstition and um, Isn't She Lovely. Uh, and I was shocked that he he's here in a pop song with 98 Degrees, who... I, I knew Stevie Wonder more than I knew 98 Degrees. I still don't know what song made 98 Degrees popular, honestly. What did they sing? I don't remember. I, like, this is the only song I know by them. I know Nick Lachey's in it, and he became famous because he married Jessica Simpson. After, but <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know Either way, it's over! The movie concludes very That's nicely. the end of the movie. Yeah. I think, I really enjoy this movie. I think it... I do too. I think I enjoyed it more. I definitely enjoyed it more than Hercules, personally. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it the movie flows much better and there's a lot of wonderful moments and the no dialogue approach is much better. It's more of that please. Yeah. It's not perfect. That is that is definitely an issue it has. It is not a perfect film. No, um, but when it works it like like again, when it works, it really works. And you gotta highlight those bits where they work and tout the, you know, celebrate them for what they are. So whew. Any other any any other closing thoughts? Um, no, I don't think I have anything else particularly. It's just a wonderful movie. Always worth a watch. <laughs> Jenny, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. No problem. I was, I'm was. i glad to be here. It was great fun. You were a delight. Yes. <laughs> now, thank you. Is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners in terms of something you'd like to promote or share? Uh, that was redundant. I don't have anything going on currently, uh, so just check out Kayla and David's other stuff. They do great stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Well, if you're here on the Bendview Network, you can listen to uh, Midnight Marinara or the archive of Undercooked Analysis, or you can hear the current run of Undercooked Analysis over on the Creative Horror Network. Kayla and I do another podcast there called Darkly Lit, which is a horror literature podcast where we, sort of like a book club, but for spooky stuff. Uh, we, if you like what you hear on this show, hey, we're glad you do. You could leave us some feedback. Uh, we'd appreciate it. Uh, but again, as I've stated many other times before, this is something we're just doing for fun. We just enjoy doing it. We're both huge nerds about, uh, animation and about the Disney movies. And we're going to just going to keep doing this as long as we can bring on cool people like Jenny who can join us and talk about these, these movies that we grew up with, or maybe in some cases didn't grow up with. Um, as this we get later and later into the uh, the canon. Mm-hmm. Kayla, what do we have coming up next, though? So uh, next month it's the last movie of Disney Renaissance, Tarzan. Ooh, Tarzan! Ooh, good one. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I have 
Oh, I'm looking forward to Tarzan. Awesome. Yeah. That's gonna be good times. Uh, I don't know how to end this. I guess uh, we'll just let. I mean, honestly, well, if you if you know this show, you already know what's playing in the background. So why don't you just you know jam along with the uh, the closing lines, huh? Yeah. Be true to your heart, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> To all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. Nothing new is something new. That great poets imitate and improve. Where our small ones steal and spoil. Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Justin. And if it wasn't readily apparent at that, we're huge nerds about remakes. That's why we're doing the Nothing New Podcast. Once a month, we'll sit down and talk about a remake in detail and its original, covering them in whatever order they come out, from Wizard of Oz to It and beyond. They're remaking Stuart Gordon's 1986 sci-fi horror classic from beyond? Oh, no. Not yet. Oh, that's going to be a long time coming. Anyway, if that sounds up your alley, come join Justin and I, and maybe a guest or two, to explore the wonderful world of remakes, film by film. Remakes have been done forever. People talk, but Scarface don't even know that was a remake. Oh, nicely said. Don't thank me. Thank Antoine Fuqua. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.